This is Vaughan Gregory from Grey Forsaken, and you are listening to Discography Discussion. Jeff's going to get really upset with us about that. <laughs> we, have a, we, have a, we, we have a third host, but he's taking a temporary hiatus. Yeah, I noticed there was three on the website. I did check out. I did, I did my research. Yeah. You're like, what have these guys been up to? Can you tell that we're a lot more honest than we used to be? <laughs> we used to, dude. When I did Centurion Outpost, I praised everything. I said everything was great, everything's all good. Yeah. And uh, I, at some point in the middle of that process, I was like, dude, I'm not being honest at all, and that's not, that's not biblical either. <laughs> to you know, to lie yeah. just to just to you know. I think it's for me. It just comes down to not wanting to hurt people's feelings. Sure. It's not about being dishonest, right. like trying to be dishonest. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't yeah. like I'm going to lie to these people today. You know? Yeah. It's it's a it's it's a, it's a tough one. It, it, it is like um, honesty. Yeah. It it can, it can be really tough to, you know, when is when when is it honest and when is it. Um, when you're just trying to not be hurtful. Sure. It's, it's a tough balance, I reckon. And if you have difficulty balancing when it's honest and not being hurtful, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. Vaughn Gregory of Grey Forsaken. Hey, how you There going? are too many words... We're going to have to do five hours on Grey Forsaken when we can, but uh, I believe, Dan, the appropriate word here is the original guest host. Right. For sure. How is it going, Vaughn? Yeah, it's going really, really well. I'm, uh, I'm here in Perth, Western Australia. It's uh, Sunday evening, and uh, I'm stoked to be here. It's, it's great to be chatting with you guys and also about one of my favorite bands as well. Um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. It's uh, it's our pleasure. We're uh, we're we're awed by your presence. <laughs> <laughs> Again, don't be. <laughs> what is it? Twelve years since. Twelve years since the last time we talked. I went back and listened to that old Centurion Outpost episode where we did. Uh, we had the whole band. We didn't just have Vaughn on. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't understand half the stuff that we were saying on that. Like this audio quality was so bad. <laughs> I could barely. Yeah. Limitations know. of the technology. Yep. I did have a mic issue that day. I remember you could Matt Matt wasn't coming through that clearly. I do recall that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I remember working as hard as possible to get that to sound as good as it possibly could. Yeah, we well, did a good job. Considering it was 2006, I think I did all right. <laughs> I think it's fine, man. Yeah. The fact that we I remember the fact that we recorded that in my bedroom. You know, uh you know, and we called, you know, Australia <laughs> you know, like back then, that was pretty amazing. I thought. Now we don't think anything it of it. I could call, I could pick up my phone and Skype you right now on it. You know, and it would be nothing at all. Anywhere I'm at in the world, I could just do that. But yeah. <laughs> you know, now step one: call Australia. Step two: record podcast. Step three: profit. Profit? Yeah. We haven't seen a whole lot of that. <laughs> probably the the thirteen hour difference is probably the biggest technical hitch, really, isn't it? Oh, it's, no. It actually took me a couple cool. weeks to figure out how we were going to do it. You know, because yeah. I was like, and I was like, how did we do it last time? Last time, I just remember that we just did it. I don't remember, you know, uh, working out all the yeah. logistics. So then I went online and I checked, you know, like, okay, what's what's the time difference between St. Louis and Perth, you know, <laughs> and all yeah. that, and uh, it gave me a thirteen hour difference. So for me and Joe, we're sitting here sipping on coffee at eight thirty in the morning, <laughs> and uh, Vaughn's yeah. ready to go to bed. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, 
like I say, I'm a bit I'm a bit of a night person anyway, so I would normally be up now. So there's absolutely no drama with that. Sweet. So um, Sweet. no, I'm happy to be doing this. It's great. And the caffeine is working its magic. So before we get into tourniquet, I'm going to take the time to say thank you to everyone who's listening to this episode. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Google Play. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on TuneIn Radio. So if you have an Amazon Echo product, you can say to it, Alexa, play the latest episode of Discography Discussion, and she will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And Dan is going to tell you all about five-star reviews. Uh, yeah, we've gotten a number of five-star reviews. Um, remember, if you leave us a review on the uh, on the actual iTunes page or really anywhere, we will read it live on the podcast. And uh, we really appreciate the support that we've gotten so far. Um, it feels really good at this point to be a five-star rated podcast on iTunes. Um, the more ratings we get, the more exposure we get. So if you're a fan of our podcast, just hit that hit that five-star button. Or if you have an issue with something that we're doing, uh, let us know. Leave us whatever kind of review you think we deserve. So uh, with that being said, I would like to also very much uh, shout out David Cassidy uh, for supporting us on Patreon. Um, I mean, I'm just floored by the fact that somebody would want to support us financially in this. So uh, we're uh, we're really honored and and, and really blessed that that you would do that for us. So thank you so much, Dave. And now Vaughn is going to tell us all about Grave Forsaken. (laughs) (laughs) Grave Forsaken. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the singer and one of the guitar players in Grave Forsaken, um, which is a we're, we're a band from Perth in Western Australia. Um, we are we are a Christian band and um, we've been we've been around since 2004. And these guys were were very helpful for us in the early days. Um, and we can, should I just mention we got a new album out. Is, yeah, is that cool? go right ahead. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. No, we just put out our. Um, our most recent album, I think it's the sixth album. Um, it has begun, so yeah, that's that's come out now. So we've just been uh, trying to get the word out about that lately, actually. So yeah, it's been good. We've had a good run. It's been good. Yeah, I gotta wait till I gotta wait till I get my next paycheck, but I'll definitely be purchasing at the very least a digital copy, if that's yeah, uh, yeah. We put it out through SoundMass initially. Uh, it will eventually be on iTunes and all of those sort of platforms, but just initially we've just got it going through SoundMass, who we've been working with for a long time. So, uh, yeah, it's been good. We're really happy with it. It's, it's, it's Most people have heard it are, are very positive. So Yeah, I heard a few songs. Nice. Um, just to give a little background for me, um, I was contacted by, by uh, Vaughn and company uh, back in 2005, 2006, sometime around there, uh, and they sent me their first demo, and uh, I have been, uh, I have been a, a big supporter of the band since then. Um, you know, this is Great Forsaken is one of those success stories where on the show we typically talk about bands that, um, you know, start off really strong and get better over time. And I feel like Great Forsaken is kind of the opposite of that in the sense that I have never seen a band grow in such leaps and bounds. Every album is just so much more out of this world than the one before it. Um, and that's not even to say that the that's not even to say that the old albums were bad. Um, they had a, they had a good start, but they just built on it, built on it, built on it, built on it, and. Um, what you've got now is you've got one of the uh, one of the go to um, one of the go to thrash bands for 
for Christian metal, in my opinion. So um, we were uh, we were really excited to have Vaughn on here to talk to talk about Tourniquet, who is uh, one of the other go to <laughs> thrash <laughs> bands uh, in Christian metal. So we uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fun discussion. Yeah, thanks for those kind words as well. Um, I'm very flattered by that. Um, yeah, but we just try to get we just try to improve on it. Really, you sure. know, we don't sort of we just try to get better and. People, people say that, that they, they get better. Um, to us, it's kind of the next album, but I think it's just experience as well. Sure. You know, you just, you just sort of learn, you get a bit of feedback, you, you, you hone in on things a little bit, um, sort of quite natural process. But yeah, I really appreciate those kind words. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, time. And before I get too bold and start reading Dan's original review of Grave Forsaken from the Centurion Outpost magazine, I'm going to say Vaughn. Dude, you did not tell me you were going to do that. You're right, I didn't. <laughs> tell me all about Tourniquet. Well, uh, Tourniquet, um, they were one of the seminal uh, early Christian thrash metal bands, I guess. They um, they were very important in the, the early days. It was... Uh, Guy Ritter, Gary Lanier. I've never been sure if it's Lanari or Lanier. I've always said Lanier. I say Lanier as well. Yeah. Um, and Ted Kirkpatrick, they were the, the key three guys in the beginning. And um, they, I, I'm guessing they came from not, they seem to be from this, the mill, the area near you in America. Um, I just don't want to get my geography wrong, but I think they're from that part of the world. Uh, but they were certainly very influential. Um, in the early days, and I would I would dare say back around 1991, they they were regarded as the premier sort of um, well, definitely the premier Christian thrash band, but um, probably one of the premier Christian metal bands, along with uh, probably Striper, obviously a slightly different genre. But would you guys agree that Tourniquet was probably regarded certainly in the top five or so? Absolutely. Know, um, I mean, it's easy to throw out. Um, there's another podcast uh, that I'm a fan of, and they were t- he was talking to uh, Kurt Bachman from Believer, and uh, he was talking about how like everybody's got their big four of the of the thrash bands, but for the Christian yeah. fans, we also have our own big four. You know, we've got yes. uh, we've got Tourniquet, uh, Deliverance, uh, Vengeance, and um, you know. Um, Living sacrifice, living sacrifice. You know, like the, you know, those, those are kind of or, or believer. You know, would fit really well yeah. in that spot. You know, but uh, I think you have the same thing as you do with the the big four. Who is the fourth? You know, like a lot of people say, is it, you know, should do Anthrax deserve to be the fourth in no, the big no, four? They, no, they don't. Um, so that's <laughs> a discussion that goes on. Yeah. A lot of people would say Testament. Um, Terra, Terra, I know, I know that's Terra. not what we're talking about now, but it's a no, similar okay. kind of debate. You've got the obvious three with the Christian thrash, obviously Vengeance, um, Deliverance, and Tourniquet. But uh, yeah, who who is the fourth? But no, I, I agree. Uh, but I just remember when when I first got into Christian metal, um, it was it was a bit of a different time then because uh, living over here in Australia, you had to order things in through the the you know obviously didn't have the internet back in the early nineties, so. Right. It wasn't as easy to get stuff like you'd you'd have to order a, a tape and it might take six months to arrive or you might hear a song on a compilation so actually i was listening to christian metal for a while before i actually actually heard tourniquet i heard of tourniquet oh do you guys say tourniquet or tourniquet tourniquet, tourniquet. yeah i know that sounds crazy but in australia you'd you'd describe the actual medical thing as a tourniquet interesting so people see it over here and they say oh who's tourniquet and I sort of tell people, well, 
They call themselves Tourniquet, so I'll call them Tourniquet, <laughs> even sure. though you might pronounce it Tourniquet over here. Um, so I'm rambling a bit, but um, but I do remember having the Hot Metal Summer compilation, and it had you get what you pray for on it, which I think was a, a pretty seminal compilation. And uh, yeah, I was certainly blown away by by that song, especially you know as a younger person having not been um exposed necessarily to a huge amount of metal like you can do now uh that was certainly um pretty pretty mind-blowing for me as a young teenager i became a pretty big fan pretty quickly and obviously they had their first album stop the bleeding in 1990 and that was a, a pretty important album for christian metal i reckon um absolutely yeah i know tourniquet's always been the band that Anytime anybody said, I don't listen to Christian bands because all their music sucks, I always say the same thing Dan says. Have you heard Living Sacrifice and have you heard Tourniquet? Yep. Because Tourniquet's just a good band. That's what they've always been. And I would watch any show where they were playing with any member of the Big Four or the currently acknowledged Big Four because they'd fit right in with anybody. Yeah. No, that's certainly... Especially after 1990, Stop the Bleeding, when we had the original vocalist of the band. Guy Ritter. Guy Ritter, with his glorious King Diamond impersonation. And I'll, I'll throw it out there and say that, that Guy Ritter is, is still my favorite tourniquet vocalist. Really? Um, he is. Um, and we'll, we'll get into Luke Easter a little bit later. Um, there's things I like about him as well. But, uh, but Guy Ritter was so all over the place as far as his delivery. That on this first, I guess we'll, I guess we're talking about stop the bleeding now, so we'll just, <laughs> just go in. But transition, um, go. Yeah, so stop the bleeding, 1990. Um, this was this was their debut to the world, and it's it, it starts off with a song called "The Test for Leprosy," which is just really introduces you to the weirdness of the band. Anyway, I mean, it starts off. Yeah, there you go, oh, right man. there. <laughs> um, so it starts off with uh, you know, which just you know, you're, you, you, this is. This is the, probably the moment that you know it starts off, dun, 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 you know, like it's, it starts off uh, aggressive, and this was the moment where you know if you're standing in a Christian bookstore and you're listening to this, you're either thinking, oh my god, finally, or you're thinking, oh my god, this is satanic, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so I mean, it was uh, it was extreme for the time in Christian metal. Um, you know, later on, you know, uh, obviously bands like Vengeance and Mortification were much more extreme, but, um, Tourniquet was, was a really big deal. Um, I think the Striper crowd really picked up on Tourniquet because this was during a time period where Striper was kind of like, people didn't like him as much, uh, in the Christian music, uh, yes, side of true. things. So, uh, for whatever reason, Tourniquet really swooped in and soaked up a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of those fans because, uh, the first Tourniquet album, Stop the Bleeding, isn't as much of a straight ahead thrash metal record as we would get later from the band. Uh, the first album is definitely a mix of traditional heavy metal versus uh, traditional heavy metal and lots of thrash thrown in there. But uh, it wasn't, you know, just a straight thrash record. And uh, Guy Ritter's vocals, man, he, you know, he's got this super deep, you know, he, he's got a very like lower register uh, singing voice. And then also the highest register singing voice you could imagine. Uh, <laughs> he goes, uh, he goes from low to high so much on the record that there are songs where yeah i mean joe's king diamond impression isn't really far off <laughs> um he he hits that he hits those super 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 high notes and um i don't always love it but um this was a very 
this is this is one of the most unique tourniquet albums because nobody really had anything to compare it to at the time yeah you know, i think um you you often the the king diamond um comparison is is very commonly made about this album and and i think the interesting thing about it um it's it's really the only true tourniquet album that it has guy as as the the sole singer because obviously on the next couple um gary does quite a few of the vocals as well so this is the one time that you really um obviously and, and gary does some vocals on this one as well but this is predominantly guy um so it actually it, it's it's quite it's a little bit different in the tornica catalog i reckon um that you know the next couple of albums definitely follow on from it but it sort of stands on its own a little bit um, with its uniqueness. Uh, they never quite went to this place again after this first album, but it was certainly um, a mega classic. And I still remember the first time I heard it. This um, we, we're actually I, I had this mate Chris, and um, we we're both into our metal. And he he comes home and uh, he 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 says that. Um, Oh, I've now got a new favourite band, and um, he he puts on "Stop the Bleeding" and he he played a couple of tracks of it, and you know we were just sitting there in his car, just blown away by this album, and I can still remember sitting there hearing it. It wasn't the first Tourniquet album I'd heard. I'd actually had a, I'd by then had a couple of others, but because of what I was saying before with the um the difference then and having to order stuff in, I I hadn't actually heard this one before. I'd heard a couple of the the next couple of albums, uh, but I remember hearing this one and thinking, "Wow, now that." That is a killer album. So um, it made a huge impression on me. This album it was it was one of my favourites for, for a, a great number of years. Actually, this particular CD sounds like the car ride I had with Dan, where he put on the thrashing floor and said, "I have a new favourite band." The thrashing floor, yeah. It's, really... uh, are you serious? Is that the song he put on? Yes, he and did. Said that he did yeah. because that that was the song that Chris played. It was it was the thrashing floor. What is it about it, the thrashing floor? In particular, a... that he played, and and it is it's an um, that's track five. It it is an um, it is a very good song, and um, extremely heavy and. Um, yeah, yeah, it just it just hits all the right notes, really. That song, um, it, yeah, like I said, it made a huge impression on me um, when when I first heard it, for sure. See, I thought he was messing with me because I had recently really discovered King Diamond. Uh, yes, yeah. I know King Diamond is King Diamond, and he needs to be known for everything that he's done, Merciful Fate, etc. But he was one of the artists that I knew who he was, but I didn't know his name. The same thing happened to me with Tom Waits. It took me 26 years of my life to figure out, oh, that's Tom Waits. Yeah. Even though I had, I knew who he was, it just it didn't never clicked. So I, be, because we had first listened to Welcome Home and all these King Diamond things, I thought he was messing with me. Because he throws on the yep. threshing floor, and I'm like, is this the new King Diamond? No, this is Tourniquet. I think what I said is I said, no, this is way better. <laughs> that, that, you know, that sounds like yeah. you, yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah well, I, I had actually, um, due to you know, sort of my background in music, I actually heard a lot of the Christian bands before I heard like the bands that they supposedly sound like. So Me I too, actually didn't yeah. hear King Diamond until after I heard this. So when I finally did hear King Diamond... Um, uh, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I can see where the comparisons come from. So I kind of went backwards with that one, <laughs> to right. be honest. Yeah, I was yeah. the same way. I, you know, I make no, I make no excuses or anything. I, when I tell people that I got my start in metal with Christian metal, you know, I mean, even back in Centurion Outpost days, I didn't even know really what a lot of the subgenres were. We, we learned a lot of that as we went, you know, and um, 
Oh, the subgenres. Thank God, oh, out of control. Yeah, and then in the it's so 2000s. funny because, like, now I don't really care that much about the subgenres, but uh, back then it was like really important. But I remember this record. One of the things that I liked a lot about it was that it was Gary's Gary played really fast. He has a really awesome guitar tone. Uh, for like his solo, like some of his solos, they just sound magical. Like in comparison, even even on later stuff, he he really, um, you know, a really good a really good example is you know even even stuff like Ark of Suffering. He just sounds, or even Tears of Korra. Tears of Korra has some of the best guitar work in a Tourniquet song that I've heard, um, and it's just uh, it just blew me away like how clean it all sounded. Like like it had that it had that thrash attitude, but like it had kind of the sheen of of traditional heavy metal in it that that clarity they, they just they must have recorded in a really good studio which was really not common uh back then a lot of the christian metal tapes that you heard back then sounded like garbage you know because they couldn't a christian metal band couldn't get the kind of footing in the 90s like they can now you know now anybody can walk into a studio or i mean even record it at home and it sounds fantastic you know? Yes. But back then, I mean, this, and I think that's part of the reason why this band was so impactful is because their first album sounded so good. You know. Yeah. It. It. It, it really. Um. It stands up alongside. Uh, there'd often be this Christian versus non-Christian music sort of almost divide, um, and sort of for reasons like you mentioned, the production and all that. But this album was one that really did did stand up and. Um, yeah, it, I, I agree with what you say about it sounding so clean. It um, it really, you know, it just absolutely, it just kicked through the speakers. This album and yeah, lots of clarity and and I think um, you know, Ted Kirkpatrick is is a you know world class drummer as well, and I think that stands out. Um, you know, he's almost like his own instrument in the band. Like he's almost like lead drummer of Tourniquet. Right. Like, bands have a lead singer. He's like the lead drummer. I sometimes think of it like that. It's, it's got, I mean, every every drummer has their own style and sound, but, you know, Ted, Ted is so much the personality of Tornica. And, um, you know, I think I think that was also part of what made the, the huge impression that they originally had. It was just this really good production and, um, you know, excellent musicianship as well. And, it, yeah, it, it really was a 10 out of 10, this album. Um, and and I'm not surprised it had the impact it did um, at the time. It was it was really something quite special um, in the Christian scene for sure. Yeah, they they really killed it on this record. And I think one of the most interesting things about it is that there's a certain potential there that you can hear, and that you're like they can actually do more. They can they can go further than this uh, because Gary's playing is a little fast. It's a little out the gate, you know. Um, mm. Ted is obviously a better drummer than the band he's in, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So he's he's being like there's a lot of there's a lot of really complicated drum parts in that record that don't need to be there necessarily. It's great that they're there, but they didn't. You know, he could have just literally just kept a beat the whole time. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's what I meant by the lead drummer kind of comment. He really does have his own voice. Sorry mm-hmm. to cut in there. No, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. Uh, we really, uh, you know, like it really, you know, just hearing the potential there. Um, you're like, wow. Whenever I listen to this record, you know, uh, or the first time I heard it, I was like, man, what are they going to do next? You know? Do I get to yeah. talk about what they're going to do next now? If you if you want to lead off psychosurgery, Joe, you go right ahead, buddy. You know, if, <laughs> if copyright wasn't a thing, I'd let psychosurgery lead itself off. Just the next hour is just psychosurgery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 1991 psychosurgery. Um, while I was listening to 
Dave Mustaine and the glory that is Symphony of Destruction. Dan was listening to Psychosurgery. <laughs> and then we met in the middle one day and everything was glorious. <laughs> I don't even know what to say here. This is one of the best metal albums I've ever listened to. Just... With the exception of one song. Well, yeah. I was trying to ignore that song. <laughs> I still try to ignore that song. Yeah. This was this was definitely, as a teenager in the 90s, um, this this was my favorite album. Like, absolutely no question. Um, to me, this was just um, Christian, non-Christian, whatever. Um, and it wasn't just like a bias towards it. I, I genuinely had this as, this was my favorite album for many, many years. And... Um, it's, it may even still be my favorite album, but as you guys know, you know, you end up listening to hundreds and hundreds of albums. So, you know, you, your favorite album one month might not be your favorite album the next month. But this is definitely one I would, um, you know, they, they talk about the old Desert Island disc. But this is an album I would definitely keep if I could only keep, you know, 10 or 15 albums. This is one I'd keep for the rest of my life. Uh, this is one of the most important albums for me. And I'm, I'm not gushing over it. I probably sound like I'm gushing, but this has had such an influence on me as a teenager back in the 90s. Now, I came in a bit later. Um, so I got into Tourniquet probably a couple of years after this album came out. Um, but, by yeah, but, you know, from sort of 94 onwards through to 2004 beyond, you know, this was my favourite album. I would, I would listen to it. I actually could recite absolutely every single lyric on this album. Um, you probably still could. If I put it on now, I could probably still sing along with sure. every single lyric. We're listening to it right now on uh, our headphones. I, I think yeah. that's going to be a bonus episode. Vaughn reads <laughs> Psychosurgery from memory. Can we do that? Yeah. Whatever. They should just they should just get the guys over and they should just record a song. Yeah. <laughs> a tourniquet song. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I yeah, like I say, I don't... I'm, I don't. I don't want to gush over it too much, but it, it just was a very important album for me. And um, what I loved about this album, also thematically, um, I felt that every song. Um, what was different about Tourniquet in the Christian scene was um, more so than other bands. They seem to, on this album in particular, deal with real issues. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they talk about child abuse. They talk about people with special needs, and of course. Tourniquet's always going to be talking about um, the treatment of animals and <laughs> and things like that. Um, yeah. So they, they yeah they were talking about real stuff. Whereas I think a lot of bands, especially at that time, I mean I think Mortification was out then and uh, Vengeance was out and everything everything with Christian metal had always been very focused. I've noticed a theme of warfare throughout Christian metal at that time, where it was like very ethereal spiritual warfare. It was you know. You know, like deliverance weapons of our warfare, and you know stuff like that, yeah. like um, catechumen, yeah, or like holy, holy soldier. You know, like all all those kind of bands that you know we're always talking about, like really kind of out there spiritual issues that we're not really thinking about on a daily basis. And um, here's Tourniquet being like, no, dude, you know this this is a child in an abusive relationship, you know, an abusive home. This is a child that has special needs, and those needs aren't being catered for you know this person's being abused um you know we're taking for granted where our food comes from or we're taking advantage of of where our scientific breakthroughs come from it's at the expense of animals and and things like that and even though there's some things that tourniquet talks about that i don't particularly agree with 
um, they were still out there doing it. They were they were they were addressing issues that I don't think in Christian music, you know, some of these issues that they're talking about were addressed by not non-Christian bands, you know, and so I thought yeah. that was really um, what set them apart too. And the the medical terminology on this record, mm-hmm. way way more you know higher up there even than on. Um, even on stop the bleeding, you know this was uh, this was a little bit more medical, you know, um, harder yeah. pro- harder to pronounce song titles like stereo. What is it? Stereocratic atrocities or <laughs> yeah. Stere- oh, I said stereotactic. Yeah, stereotactic. So, acro- that sounds that sounds right. Yeah, it's not actually in the song. They they never actually say that. That's often the case. But right. But it is funny. It, like any discussion, a tourniquet um, has to has to talk about their song titles. Um, I, I love that about tourniquet because it had this. It was almost like a language that was, um, was tourniquet language, and it obviously cranked up to eleven on the next album, which we'll, mm. we'll get to. But um, yes, we will. Yeah, <laughs> they, I always thought that they had a real skill for um, for coming up with tourniquet sounding song titles, and mm. I'd always get a kick when a new album came out, and um, you know it would have a bunch of new tourniquet style songs um and just the titles i thought you know it just made you feel like you were part of the the tourniquet thing you know like sure. um you you got it you were sort of in on it you know and um no i agree i i, I was really a big fan of those um those those words uh in the in the titles um because that was always a thing with metal was to come up with creative song titles but most yeah. bands were just kind of pulling random words out of a dictionary. Tourniquet actually kind of came up with their own language, which yeah. I still struggle with sometimes. But you know, when you come up, <laughs> when you write a when you write a song and call it the Skeezix Dilemma, I'm in. But we'll get to that on pathogenic yeah. ocular dissonance. That's about Uncle, Uncle Wiggly. Dictionary <sighs> <laughs> yeah. on Uncle Wiggly. Sorry. <laughs> Can I? Um, I, I just went and I, I actually just wrote down a few of my favorite tracks as I sure. on each album we went through and the ones that stood out for me on this one if you don't mind me sharing no, this go ahead. Um, that's going to be this my, week's p- playlist is going to be all of Vaughn's favorites Vaughn's recommendations yeah <laughs> then I don't well, have to I was make a playlist a huge fan of um it's not necessarily like the the I think all fans are like this it's not sometimes it's the deeper cuts that you like I guess mm-hmm. um so but I was always a huge fan of Vitals Fading um that's a good one that song really stood out to me um particularly the the section where it sort of goes into the the riff, you know, the dun, 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 and then he does the wrinkled hands, reach out, cold metal rails bit, like that always just sent shivers up my spine. That section of the song, and just even for that little, you know, some songs I have a ten second or a twenty second section, and it just it makes the song. Sure. That just used to give me chills that bit. And the other one that would give me chills was Broken Chromosomes. Um, oh my goodness, that song still gives me the shivers listening to it. It's just so. It's a very emotional tourniquet song, and you don't really get emotional songs out of thrash metal bands, you know? No. I, I still think, and again, I'll, I'll sound like a gusher here, but I, I do mean it about this album. I still think that like something like Broken Chromosomes is one of the great moments in metal when it comes down to like the, the outro bit of it where he's like doing the men fail me, but the son of God saves, and the, when I'm face down, I'm talking face on the ground. You know, that whole bit at the end um, where you've had this song that's sort of quite... Um, quite a serious topic and quite um, quite grim in a way and then it ends on this sort of note of hope and I, I found that Tornica would use that a lot in their music that sort of that would 
they would talk about the issue and then they would they would conclude it with hope and and I that format really appealed to me in their music and um, it's definitely been something that that I've done with my own music where I've sort of tried to look at an issue and then in the like last verse or the final chorus or the the fade out or whatever I'll be try to do something positive to end the whole thing on a on a positive note, if you know what I mean, and, sure. and that's actually a, a technique that I learnt from this album, from that kind of getting into the issue and then finishing with hope. Um, and so I think I think they did that better than anybody, particularly on this album. And I think if you look at nearly every song, it, it kind of does that. Uh, they they finish with hope. So those were the two that I wrote down, but I. I I'm curious to know which song you guys don't like if you're going to share it because I, I loved every track on this album. I, I didn't have one I didn't like. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan. You don't have to share it. I don't know if it's a secret. I, I went, when you said that, I was curious. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the song Spineless. I'm not I'm not a big fan of uh, oh, okay. rap metal. Uh, so, uh, and this was, this was done very strange. I mean, this is 1991, so like rap metal wasn't like a thing yet, you know, like really. Yeah. And uh, so it was just really jarring to hear that and it just comes across as really dated because I feel like most of that record I feel like Good most times. of that I feel like most of that record is very serious and very and actually um I don't know like is is yeah more timeless like you could show it to somebody and they're not necessarily sure if it was recorded in the 90s or if it was newer you know because there's a lot of newer thrash bands that sound like they were from the 90s and uh but this this really dates it oh yeah for sure you know and uh even the but it's weird it's not even the rapping that bothers me as much as it's just like the band trying to like move into that and like i feel like maybe had i been listening to it day one 1991 i would have thought it was cool but yeah. now when i listen to it it's it's a little cringeworthy um to me yeah. well isn't it interesting that anthrax and public enemy are credited with creating rap metal when they did bring the noise but that was 1994 yeah tourniquet did it in 91 yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, I think I was um, I was so all over this album as a teenager that I, I can hear what you're saying now with you know the hindsight of a couple of decades. I think I was so into the album that um, I mean, it was a different time, wasn't it? Like there wasn't an internet and things like that to even discuss this kind of thing. So I just took that at face value that they were doing um, they're doing a song with with those sort of rap vocals. But what I loved about Spineless. Um, like you know how I mentioned that I like knew all the lyrics. Like I, yeah. I, I took great um, uh, satisfaction in like learning all of those you know really quick sort of um, wrapped out lines. Right. Like um, you know like take a look at your friends. Is that what you want? There's empty as air. Just out for a joint right. three seven nine ten for fourteen times. Huffing at you with those <laughs> like, all the rhymes. All that. Um, I don't know if that is that copyright infringement to to quote lyrics. It's gone on. It's gone on the like, podcast. Just be able to sing along. And it used to be like a good party trick. Like yeah. I'd put on this tourniquet tape and I'd sing along with it, and um, and people would be like, "That's crazy, man!" Like no nobody should nobody should be able to sing along with a song like that. Right. But it's actually where I learned a lot of my own sort of vocal style. Like I'd be driving along. This is when I got my license, and I'd be listening to stuff like that. So like belting it out, mm-hmm. you know, in in my style, and then I sort of I applied that with my own band. Um, so yeah, that, that actually stuff like that taught me how to do thrash vocals in a funny way. So very important for me. But I do, I do hear your. Um, I, I think what you're saying is valid about it. Definitely, um, it's not a way I'd ever looked at it, but um, it certainly could come across as a bit dated now. Mm. Um, 
For sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't hold it against her record for being out the year that it's out, you know, but uh, it's 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 just, yeah, for some reason it just didn't hit me right because maybe I was in a, I don't know, maybe a more enlightened state or whatever <laughs> when I listened to it. I was like, man, what what is this, you know? Yeah. I did think it was cool hearing Gary and Guy kind of go back and forth at the end, though. Um, I thought that was kind of yeah. neat. Um, this record vocally, too, there, there was a big change in the band as far it as, was. like, he had kind of knocked off those high-pitched <laughs> uh, falsetto vocals. Um, it was it, he, he sang more in the deeper register in this record. Uh, and you also heard a lot more of uh, Gary kind of stepping up to the mic and, and doing the doing the when the thrash vocals were uh, were needed he, he stepped in. Although it is interesting hearing Guy do the vocals on a, a dog's breakfast because mm-hmm. it almost seems like you know based on what we know about the band, it almost seems like that would have been a song that Gary would have sang the lead vocal on, but yeah. uh, but Guy does it and it sounds cool. It sounds unique, um, and I was a really I was really big uh, really big fan of the way that that song sounded. That's one of my standout tracks is the Dog's Breakfast, um, especially like with the lyrics too. Um, might might be a little hard uh, for people to get into if they're not Christians. You know, it's a little yeah. um, it's a little uh, it's a little you know, divisive. And he basically, long story short, he basically goes through all these crazy different religious beliefs and how they're wrong or stupid or, or whatever. And, uh, and that's, that's very, I mean, very honestly, the way I used to be, you know, yeah. um, like this is dumb. This is stupid. Like, and, uh, it's hard because I appreciate that song now because it does, it, it's a little bit more than just these religions are stupid as much as it's yeah. more like, Hey man, whenever you hear something, don't just take it at face value. Really think about it. <laughs> you know. Well, with that song in particular, again, you know, go back to the pre-internet days where you couldn't just search for something. Um, I, in all seriousness, I mean it when I say I, I learned everything I know about um, about like cults and whatnot from that song. You right. know, like that was my. Um, it's a bit like how Iron Maiden fans they know everything they know about history from Iron Maiden songs. I right, knew everything right. I knew about. You know, Alexander, the, I mean, we're talking about Iron Maiden, but um, Alexander the Great, I know everything I know about Alexander the Great, thanks to Iron Maiden. And this is the same. I know, you know, still to this day, if you ask me about some of the, um, the what they talk about in that song, I'd still reference in my head this song to, to like, churn out a bit of info about um, the various religions that he's talking about. Right. And um, it was probably quite a brave song, like looking, thinking back to it now, um, you know, because they might, they may have had, um, you know, people who, you know, they um, might have been offended by what they were saying because yeah. it's not like those um, those religions and like cults, if you want to call it that, weren't without their followers. But I suppose the thing is most of those cults would have um, probably denounced heavy metal anyway. So. Probably not listening to much tourniquet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They probably weren't listening to that much of that. We're a different time, really. Then wasn't it? Um, it? They might be a bit more open-minded now, but probably back in those days, they wouldn't have been. Um, right. It was a different time, the nineties. <laughs> yeah, and I think it would. I think you know the thing about Christian metal, especially in the nineties, is that it was a little bit more Christian, so to speak. And that's probably a controversial yeah. way to put it, but. Uh, you know, they, everybody was everybody was a little bit more bold. You know, the hardcore bands were super bold, and I think it was really just more of one of those like we have to have this stance, this strong stance, in order to have this movement. 
And we can do this too. Yeah, we can do this too. We can be offensive too. You know, Slayer can Slayer can write about you know how much they hate the church and hate all this stuff or whatever. Um, So why can't we do the same thing? You know, about cults or about Satanism or about what you know about whatever they wanted to talk about. You know, that's that's one of the best things about expressive heavy music is that you can you can you've got the platform to talk about what you feel is important, and uh, Mm. and that's one of that's one of my favorite things. Uh, about tourniquet is they still did it but like one of the biggest complaints people have against this type of metal is that it's super cheesy and i don't think tourniquet really came off like that at least not in the early albums um i don't think they had cheesy music i think they were just as technically proficient as their counterparts you know and they um you know they they had the chops just like everybody else but their their sub that what really set them apart was their was their subject matter and um and a sweet drummer and a really, really good drummer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He really, he, he really does. Um, uh, he, he, he's really a lot better than a lot of the other drummers out there. Like he, um, he, he really. Yeah, I mean, what sort of um, platitudes can you give Ted? He, he, he does an amazing job on all the albums, and I think it was such a critical part of their success. Um, I mentioned that about the previous album as well. But, um, I, I, I reckon if if maybe they didn't have that drumming, it might not have. Um, it, it really put them into that world class bracket. Like people couldn't ignore Tourniquet. They couldn't. They weren't just another band. Like Ted really um, gave them that. He was better than most drummers, Christian or otherwise, and right. um, th- that really helped them. I, I think because people heard that and and they were just um, in awe of his drumming. And so I think that was really important for them. Definitely. Yeah, they. I mean. T- it's one of those things with Tourniquet where you can't really. I mean, the first records are so good that it's like uh, it's it's very comparable to Metallica's um, discography in the sense that you know maybe there weren't he did they didn't necessarily have a first four like Metallica did, but they're you know um, we had a first if, three if well yeah they but I mean if you yeah if you think about it you know yeah. um, stop the bleeding was basically kill them all and ride the lightning mixed into one um, yeah. Dog's Breakfast is Master of Puppets, and uh, Pathogenic is Injustice for All. You know, it's their heaviest record uh, before the band would go through a really big sound change. So, um, is there anything else we want to say about psychosurgery? Uh, no, I mean, I've sort of, I've, you know, I have been very gushing, but I mean, I think I said everything and I'd like to about that. I love all the tracks. It was an important album, and I, I, I think it's their best. They've never topped it, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. It's definitely their their definitive classic, you know. Yeah. In a world where you're showing somebody a band and you say, "So let me play their greatest hits for you," the majority of what you're going to play comes off of psychosurgery, right? Unless you're yeah. me, the first thing I'm going to play you is the Skeezix Dilemma from 1992's <laughs> Pathogenic Ocular Dissonance. You're going to start with that, really? It's me. I have control. All right, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> this record is really weird. There you go. Oh man. Vaughn is showing me up right now. This record is my original copy. Yeah. With the original with the original cover? You know, I got my first copy of that yeah, from a guy. That's the 92 intense oh. version. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I have too. I've actually got uh, I actually got that from a guy uh, me and uh, me and a friend of mine, uh, Buddy from uh, he was the bass player for End of Destiny. He him and I did a radio show. We did a Christian metal radio show uh, on like on that on the physical radio. Um, for a couple of years, or maybe it was one year, I can't remember exactly, but it was, uh, 
there was a guy that was on before. See, we played all the new stuff. We played the death metal and, and you know, grindcore and metalcore and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and there was a guy that was on before us that only played stuff like Tourniquet, you know, Mortification, Sacrament, Deliverance. Like, he did all that stuff. So he was called uh, the Power Outage. And he yeah. did... Uh, he played. He played all that Christian, all that classic Christian metal, which was great because it took it took us an hour to drive up to the studio for the show. Mm. So we would just listen to his show on the way up uh, to do ours. It could, would just get more and more amped up. But I, I, I remember telling him like, "Yeah, man, I really like." Uh, he's he's like, "What tourniquet albums do you have?" And I was like, "I got all of them except for uh, Pathogenic." He literally just reaches into his bag and goes, "Here." And just hands me yeah. the the original, <laughs> the original there release of that record, and, uh, and and the world was never the same. It blew my mind, man. Like, and I didn't yeah. hear it until much later than I'd heard the other ones. I mean, I'd heard Skeezix yeah. Dilemma, and I'd heard a few songs online, but um, the way this record comes together, it's it's probably the heaviest tourniquet record uh, that yeah. they ever did, and um, yeah, it's mostly sung by uh, Gary. Yeah, and that's sort of what I touched on before and we've stopped the bleeding being the only sort of album where guys actually pretty much the main lead singer. I think you see a transition through those first three albums where it's probably more like 50-50 on psychosurgery and mm-hmm. then by this one Gary's doing a lot of it. Um yep. This was actually this was my first full tourniquet album and I've just I've just totally gushed over psychosurgery and um, Pathogenic Ocular Dissonance, in my opinion, is it's only not the best tourniquet album because of the existence of psychosurgery. Like right. to me, Pathogenic Ocular Dissonance is is only just a tiny bit. It, it's like it's like picking your favorite kid. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. Um, yeah. They're they're very um, they're almost equal, but I just lean towards psychosurgery because of what it meant for me. But this album, um, absolutely, um, this was my first full tourniquet album, and. Um, I got it from um, from a place called uh, Bible Society Bookstore that was in Perth, and um, it uh, it was probably one of the first like um, technical sort of thrash albums that I ever heard, just in general as well. Um, being sort of young and getting into music, so so this was this was my benchmark for Tourniquet for a long time. I didn't hear Psychosurgery until after I had gotten this album. Um, and it certainly it blew me away, um, and it was this album that actually gave me my my love of Tourniquet, um, but that then continued on. So um, then, Vanishing Lessons, which we're going to talk about next, obviously, um, became that was actually my first Tourniquet album that I got as a new Tourniquet album. So this was sort of this was a little bit older when I first heard it, but um, it was um, so I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, it made a big impression on me. So yeah, over to you guys. <laughs> yeah, this record's weird. Uh, I love the intro. I love those kind of the slower intro. Um, the other the other two Tourniquet albums before that were a little bit more just out of the gate. You know, you just go right yeah. into it. This was the very first where they have this like this big long epic intro um, that was really good. It's like a starts off with this almost like I think it's Ted talking. Um, Ted talks. No, but uh, I think Ted uh, <laughs> the original I Ted talks. Ted, yeah. I hear that. Ted talks. Yeah, I just get a picture of him in my head. It's quite funny. Right. Yeah. So Ted, yeah. Ted speaking over the uh, over the intro to that song, and he almost sounds computerized, like they computerize his voice yeah. a little bit. And um, and this record just sounds like it. It sounds very sci-fi <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, it does. Um, there's a song where they actually pretty much use a Mister Spell uh, <laughs> yeah. to talk, yeah, which is really cool. Um, 
at one point too, it's, and it would say really weird things. It was all like the sun reflects sun, like droplets in the air or something. Um, you probably have the lyrics out for that one, but uh, yeah, it was. Um, there was one where he just it just stops and goes. I don't want to go to the movies tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's, <just laughs> it's like brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and then it goes in that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's, it's just, like so psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's so um, the the album just it, it has so many riffs and parts, and it um, it sort of it goes up and down. And I just remember you know listening to it um, and. Like just just the ride that it takes you on, you'll be you know be in one riff and then it will move into something like a, another more technical riff and um, just the dynamics of it and things like that. I don't want to go to the movies tonight. Just the <laughs> whole um, the whole album sort of it was like a. I, I like your comment about it sounding sort of quite sci-fi because it, it, it did. I, I would agree with that. Um, but the, what really struck me about this album. Um, if I can share the probably the two tracks that stood out to me, um, definitely Pathogenic Ocular Dissonance. I don't always necessarily like the title track of an album. Like I don't often bands get it right. I think in this case they did, um, you know, name the album after an extremely strong track. Uh, I think that's a brilliant song. And the other one has already been mentioned, the Skeezix Dilemma. Um, that, that both of those songs are. Um, you know, they, they stand alongside anything that's out there and um, particularly Skeezix Dilemma, it sort of um, takes you through such a journey. And then I think I think it's um, I think it might be Victor's cat. Even um, you hear like in the yeah. song at one point. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I read that in a magazine once somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so both those songs were real sort of standout tracks to me. And the other thing about this album um I found it took the whole. Um, we talked about the tourniquet song titles. This was this was the album where they crank it to eleven. Like they never got so. Um, they never pushed the whole song titles so far. Like ruminate, ruminating virulence and yeah. spectrophobic dementia and the the classic gelatinous tubercles of purulent ossification. I know it's I like mean, it's what brilliant. in the world is. Yeah, it's great though. Like. It makes you feel like you're listening to something really special, and it's it's fun to just throw those song titles out. Well, I really like you know, and just the, yeah. And then for the next for the next thirty seconds, you're saying like just pure you know, <laughs> higher level medical terminology, and it makes me feel yeah. smart whenever I tell people you know. I listen to yeah, Phantom I- Limb. I like Phantom yeah. Limb. Well, Phantom Limb's a good song, and I'll, I'll and Phantom Limb was kind of our first preview as to where Tourniquet was going to go in the future. Yeah, um, I'd agree. Because yeah. everything that we'd had before that was pretty much straight ahead thrash, um, with a little bit of he- our traditional heavy metal thrown in there. Um, this one had kind of it starts off with kind of you know more of a bluesy, uh, relaxed, Definitely. relaxed yeah. intro, um, and it's actually one of the most different sounding songs on that record because I mean it comes right in after Pathogenic, and Path- Pathogenic is probably the heaviest Tourniquet song, you know, ever ever recorded. You know, it's it's. Yeah. It's the only one I can remember that had blast beats, you know, like, it was just, you know, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, almost, almost death metal sounding in the chorus, you know, as far as the music side of it went. And, um, yeah. And, and so Gary's f- vocal delivery, um, in the verses on that song is, um, spectacular. Um, yeah, I always loved the verses of that song. You know, like the Aguandi sees East and West simultaneously. Yeah. Oh my God. That's my favorite part of the song when he comes in like that. Cause it's just, yeah. he sounds so strong. Yeah. So authoritative, you know, like it just, oh my gosh, he sounds so good. Yeah. Um, and then later in the song where Guy comes in doing the when red is green and green mm-hmm. is gray, that whole bit, um, 
you know, like the whole feel of the song changes and that was that whole dynamic and tempo change and um, just the whole musical journey that Tourniquet would take you on. Um, I think that song um, really um, sort of embodied that spirit of Tourniquet and a song I didn't mention earlier was the actual title track of Psychosurgery as well. I think that's a similar kind of song in has that real Tourniquet kind of feel with the Gary. I think Tourniquet at their best when when Gary's doing the verses and guys coming in for the choruses, most oh, of my yeah. favourite material has that that contrast between the two of them. Yeah, that was established um, in Arca Suffering, I think, was that formula. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so I think that was really important for them as well. So sorry to go back to an older album, but um, I think that's that was a real strength on this album, and and they did complement each other very well. But. Uh, no, I definitely agree with what you're saying about Phantom Limb, and it's something I've never thought about. But as soon as you said that, I was like, "Yeah, you're dead right." Phantom Limb really was the um, that was a good, uh, uh, yeah, uh, benchmark for where they were going to move after this album. Right. So this is the point of the band too, where things kind of start to change. Yeah. Um, we are now um, Guy Ritter uh, essentially exited the band. I think right after the recording of this one. Um, yeah. I read a really long interview with him one time in HM Magazine, and Guy, if you're listening, hit us up. We'll talk to you. <laughs> We're totally down. To <laughs> We're do totally the down to do the interview. Yeah. Um, yeah, get his side of the story on that. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think what it was is that it had something to do with the fact that he just felt like the band was getting a little too heavy for him, and yeah. a little bit more, a little bit more of a heavy metal band, and a little bit less of a Christian ministry. Which, with a lot of Christian metal singers, that is the, that's you know they they view the music as a ministry, more than a band. And and I'm not speaking for the rest of the band, but in his opinion, what he said was that he felt like, to them, it was more of a band first and a ministry second. Um, and he wanted it to be the opposite. They just didn't agree, so they parted ways. Um, yeah. And then, so at that point, they had to, uh, and I think this was right after the album came out, so I don't think he really played any of these songs live, or if he did, it was only one or two shows, you know, after that. Um, typically, when yeah. people leave a band, they say, oh, okay, I'll do five more shows, and then that's it, you know, or something like that. And so I actually, there's a really good video on YouTube of them playing all the pathogenic stuff, but yeah. they have uh, but they have Luke Easter uh, singing for them but it's uh but it's still gary doing most of the most of the vocal work you know like yeah. they had just pulled luke in and uh and so that was really interesting to hear um and it's it's relatively good quality on youtube if you search for like tourniquet uh cornerstone i think it's like cornerstone 94 95 it'd have to yeah. be 93 or 94 yeah it was 93 or 94 i can't remember exactly but uh YouTube it's really it's here. really interesting hearing them play all the old material with yeah. luke easter singing on it and it actually sounds yeah. uh sounds pretty good um, yeah, I was pretty surprised by it. Are we going to talk about Vanishing Lessons now? <sighs> yeah, I guess so. This it's depressing to go to Vanishing Lessons only because this is the end of the old tourniquet. You know, yeah. this is uh, the beginning. There's still remnants of it in Vanishing Lessons, but you've got a new singer, which is immediately noticeable, um, yeah. and you definitely have a new musical direction for the band. And I'll get into why I think that this album is very ironic uh, once we get to the end of the uh, once we get to the end of the discussion on it. So, um, what did Vanishing? You said you picked up Vanishing Lessons as a new release. So, uh, tell me about that. What was your yeah. initial impression after hearing the old Tourniquet and then picking this up as a new release? Um, around that time, um, 
I mean, it's been so well documented that nearly every heavy metal band in existence changed style around this time. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, I wasn't super surprised. Um, and I was so into what they were doing that um, I was probably... Um, like I was going to, I was going to like whatever they did. So I, I still, I still got into it. Um, it, I think, you know, it just, it just wasn't as, it wasn't as thrashy. It was, it was more, um, it, it definitely isn't grungy, but it kind of like, it's, it, I'm not, not saying it's grungy, but it sort of fit what was going on at that time where it seemed nearly every band, like I mentioned earlier, was having like a radical kind of change. So it almost seemed like like around that time, Mortification had done, um, and I'm even talking in, in the Christian scene, they had done Blood World. Um, Deliverance had sort of switched to Learn, which was a different style. Um, you know, Striper, Striper were off the map by then. Um, I think that's around the time that Bride did drop. Yep, so it felt yep. like every single band that I'd gotten into over the last few years um, had all of a sudden completely changed style. So I, I kind of felt like um, um, I just sort of had to roll with it a little bit. Um, but I think that this album sounded um, a bit more um, uh, like, I'm trying to think of the word for it. Um, the other one sort of really um, rolled along and really, really moved. Whereas this album, um, it just seemed to everything seemed um, to to come back a step. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it just didn't the intensity seem to have the level same is, intensity. is dialed back. Yeah, yeah, everything was dialed back, so it didn't make it a bad album by by any stretch. But it yeah, it, it just felt like um, what had been there before wasn't. And I suppose the reason it felt that way was because it had fundamentally changed. Um, so I, I think it's probably pretty fair to say that uh from this album onwards i feel like um feel like tourniquet kind of um they've never they've never changed as much from album to album as they did between pathogenic and vanishing like it feels like everything that's happened since vanishing has kind of been a bit of an extension maybe of what they did there and that's possibly luke easter's vocals um Mm -hmm. because there is musical changes in there but Oh, do, do you guys agree with me? Um, yeah. Sort of set template for what's come since. I consider this to be Tourniquet's Black Album. You yeah. Know? Um, there's a little bit of what was before, but a little bit more of this hard rock sensibility. Um, I yeah. know when Metallica put out the Black Album, everybody started calling them hard rockica, you know? Uh, they yeah. were, uh, you know, and I feel very much the same way about Tourniquet, although there are still songs that I think may have been leftovers or ideas that may have been leftovers from previous yeah. writing sessions. Like the song Vanishing Lessons, I still consider to be a pretty straight ahead driving metal song. Um, yeah. And that's actually, a, it's weird the title track is my favorite song on the record, but it is. Uh, that one yeah. was really good. Um, Acid Head was really good. Um, There's a lot of really good songs on the record, Drowning Machine, you know, Um, and Luke Easter was really interesting the first time I heard him. And I'll talk about this later, um, that I found Luke Easter's vocals to be very engaging uh, right off the bat. Yeah. Um, It kind of had this like, um, it's really weird. He sounds then the way Dave Mustaine from Megadeth kind of sounds now. I don't know if you listen yeah, to. Yeah, that'd be a fair call. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if you've listened to the newest Meg. You probably have the newest Megadeth album, yeah. Dystopia. Um, mm-hmm. Dave, I guess it's just Dave's getting older and his his vocal delivery is a lot deeper and still gruff. So it yeah. actually comes across sounding very uh, Luke Easter ish in in places. Um, yeah, but Luke was. No, I'd, I'd agree for sure with that. Yeah, hmm. I've, I've noticed that in the last couple of Megadeth albums. I mean, I think everybody has noticed it. I, I thought it was 
I know we're not talking about Megadeth, but I thought Endgame was the album where Dave most sounded um, like he'd really dialed it back. Um, I thought it went up a bit. But then, yeah, on Dystopia, it, it doesn't have the same... Yeah, it's more. Um, it's almost more spoken in some ways. Um, right. What he does on that album, but again, we're not talking about Megadeth. Um, right, we did that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that you had done I went that off already. on. A, I went off on a tangent on that one. Yeah, but but there is there is valid comparisons there. I think the thing that surprised me about this album when it came out, um, and this is no slight on Luke at all. Um, I was surprised they just didn't go full Gary on this album. Like, he'd done so many lead vocals coming up to it. Um, it would have maybe seemed like a more natural transition if Gary was just the lead vocalist on all the tracks on this album. I don't know if that ever crossed your guys' minds, but that was something I thought at the time. Like, that might have seemed a more logical direction based on where they'd been going. I agree with you to an extent, but I think if I had been in the band at that time, and I had been part of the decision-making process, the thought that would have come into my head would have been, well, how are we going to play the old songs? Yeah. Because Gary, yeah, you know, Gary admittedly at the time was not a, not a great singer. He was an amazing thrash metal screamer, you know. Uh, he did that really yeah. well. But uh, the actual, uh, the actual, you know, like, and I think that may have been the whole reason why they pulled Luke on because Luke did have a good singing voice. Um, he yeah. didn't sound. He didn't really sound like Guy at all, um, which was no. interesting. But he actually, if you go back and listen to him sing Guy's parts on Pathogenic, they sound really good. So I mean, he he was a good good choice for replacement. But uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I could imagine like if you're in a rehearsal room as a band and and Luke's trying out and you're jamming on the old material based on I've I've watched a lot of those YouTube clips you're talking about as well. Mm -hmm. it, you know, you'd think, yeah, this guy's got it. He can do the old stuff. He can bring his own style. Um, probably a little bit comparable to um, Ripper Owens in Judas Priest. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ripper obviously did a brilliant job on the Halford material, but then on the two albums that he did, he sounded nothing like Rob Halford, um, right. which I think disappointed a lot of people because, um, you know, Priest tuned down on those albums. And, you know, Ripper had been, again, we're not talking about Judas Priest, but I think there's a bit of a comparison there in that, um, sure. you know, he took his own original vocal material, this is Luke, in maybe a bit of a different direction, but did a really good job um, on covering the guy material. So mm -hmm. he, he, he brought a lot to the table. There's there's no question about that. And um, I think he's got a very um, relatable voice. Like um, it, there's, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of um, sort of like yearning in Luke's vocal style. And I, I, I found that um, I could I could relate to that uh, as a listener, and that probably helped cover maybe the musical changes on this album for me because Luke just had such an earnest delivery to the point now where I you know I sometimes can't split which which singer I prefer in Tornica. Like sometimes I prefer the guy stuff, but as we'll get to later in the discography, I think there's moments where Luke um, and I've told him this over like Facebook. There's certain moments where I think he's just sublime, his vocal delivery. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of Luke, and I think he helped he helped cover maybe the notch down in intensity on this album. So I still ended up, um, I still I still loved it when it came out, uh, but it was it was a very different listen for sure. Yeah, I mean this record, uh, very hard rock, a lot of bluesy aspects. Um, one of the things there's a song called Pushing Broom. That stands out to it. me a lot on this record. Um, I wrote that down on my notes. Yeah, it's a slower <laughs> song, but uh, 
it really shows off too that Luke Easter actually has a really, really good melodic singing voice as well. Yeah. But again, it's not and like that's... guys where it's like off the planet, you know, the high pitched or or weird. Um, I've always felt like guys singing vocals were always very gruff. Yeah. And Luke Easter has that too, but he can actually really deliver a clean, really nice sounding, you know, um, slower song so you I mean you get stuff like that on my promise and stuff so yeah what luke brought to the table was actually you know the opportunity for the band to actually have a little bit more mainstream appeal uh yeah, i think he, than what they had had and we're gonna really see that on crawl to china later on yeah um and and pushing broom um was an influential song for me to the point where i was still like if i'm um you know, going through a period in life where, you know, maybe maybe things are moving a bit slow or, you know, how sometimes, well, I'm sure we all know, you go through periods where you're just going to work and, like, nothing, you know, you talk to your friends, oh, what's been going on? And you're like, oh, not much, you know, and all that. that I, I find that song really appeals to me, the whole concept of at least you're not afraid to push a broom another year. Like, sometimes right. <laughs> the, the bravest thing is just to um, – is just to keep going and 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 not let it get to you. So um, uh, that song's been an important song for me, um, and I, I I loved it the whole time. And the other one I wrote down on my notes from this album, my notes, my notes are actually just a list of my favourite couple of songs from each album. So <laughs> that's my notes. Awesome. <laughs> so it might sound like more than what it is. The other one I wrote down on this one was was Acid Head as well. Um, because that was kind of a bit of the old tourniquet, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it was more, more driving, in their old school. Yeah. I've always thought of this album to be an arena rock record in disguise. Yeah. When, when I listen to the previous records, I love them, but I'm thinking, this sounds like a metal show. When I listen to this, I think, okay, this is kind of written for a stadium. Because the, yeah. they, they play everything out, they let the chords ring. Yes, it's it's hard rock aspects, but when you've got that good of vocal delivery that engages the listener, that's the kind yeah. of vocalist that you see played at 20,000, 30,000 people and everyone is paying attention. And when they yeah. would go over to seas, I think that's how many people they played to. Yeah. So weird when you go, when you go outside of America... Um, in America, you can be a decent band and play, and still only play to a hundred people in a club, and then go down to yeah. Brazil and you know ten thousand people show up. <laughs> yeah, well, I think. Um, I mean, I've never been to America. I'm, I'm over here in little old Australia, but I think that um, my the impression I get as an Australian seeing what happens in America is. Um, I don't know what it's like in in your city, but a, a lot of the big bands they seem to you know they tour most years in in a lot of markets. So maybe maybe would I be right in saying that you get a lot of options to see a lot of artists? So maybe um, maybe there's more options, so the audience is a bit more spread out. Would that be that's fair? fair? Yeah, but I think in America, I think one of the biggest problems with our society is that. People don't equate the fact that going and seeing a live show is what keeps their band, their favorite bands going. Yeah. I think it's one of those like, oh, I can't do this because I'm going to this. Like, you don't, even if your favorite band comes to town, you don't see them every time they come to town because you're kind of taking it for granted. But it's like what yeah. you don't know is that they need you, they, they do need you to come to the show. They need you to buy a t shirt because it doesn't matter how many times you streamed it on Spotify. The band's not really yeah. getting anything from that, you know, not anything substantial. And, um, I feel like when I was younger, more people went to shows in America, and yeah. now now not as much. Like your diehards are still going to show up, but for the most part, um, 
it's kind of slim pickings, especially if you're a band that's just starting out. Yeah, yeah I think established I mean, bands do really thing. well, but you know. Yeah, no, I can understand because like what what we have over here when when the big big name US artists come over, um, you know, there's huge huge cost for them to come over. So generally, it's you know part of a big tour because. Um, like the the smaller bands, you know, they really can't afford to come to Perth, for example. I went to a Queensryche show uh, mm-hmm. when Jeff Tate was still in the band, and there was cool. literally only about fifty people there, and really? they must have like cut such a huge, maybe a hundred. It was so it was like this is Queensryche, you know, um, and they must have just lost so much money on that show. And then I noticed when they came to Australia next, they cut Perth out. And yeah, absolutely. I wasn't surprised. <laughs> That's been happening but, um, a lot lately over here where somebody will come to town once and nobody shows up. And then five years later, they're still not coming back. Yep. Yeah. I think if you get burned by a particular city or whatever, like, um, you know, you're not necessarily going to say, we have to go back to that one. But um, yeah, I, I, I get the comparison with Vanishing Lessons and it just got me thinking, um, you know, there's probably we talked about Megadeth before, there's probably strong similarities with euthanasia, mm-hmm. um, oh, which yeah. came out obviously around the same time. So, yeah, and I, I probably had thought of that before, but th- that same kind of, um, you know, uh, probably, you know, less um, pedal to the metal kind of playing, more arena style, a bit more emotional, a bit more heartfelt. Um, sure. but yeah, I think there's probably a valid comparison there in what they were doing. Um and I'm sure they were paying attention to what Megadeth were doing. Though obviously, euthanasia would have come after this, but um, it was that sort of mid '90s era, wasn't it? Right. Where, Everybody, the yeah. times were really changing. Yeah. Yeah. And if definitely. you wanted to stay relevant, you kind of had to pick up that hard rock. You don't really want to say grunge because I think grunge was a pretty limited movement. But um, that definitely that I think one one of the things that grunge did for rock in the '90s was that it established kind of a new era of heaviness. Because I think before that you had rock. Yeah, you had hard yeah. rock, but everybody was still listening to bands from the '80s. You know, you called because a lot of the ha- a lot of the ha- you know hair metal bands, you know, people people would call bands like uh, ACDC stuff that like that was still hard rock. I think yeah. until I think until grunge kind of came in, and then you had this kind of and even Metallica on their Black album, I think, was really influential in making rock a lot beefier, you know, than it had been before. Yeah. Um, and so Tourniquet really embodies that. I mean, this this album is still heavy, but it's not in the. It's not it's not it's not thrash heavy. It's um, yeah. it's more you know more of your down tuned kind of more bluesy based. I mean this this is still a really great record, but um, yeah. What I think is ironic about this record is that one of the things that Guy Ritter said in his interview was that he wanted the band to tone their sound down a little bit yeah. for their next record to do slower songs, and Ted yes, pretty much yeah. told him, no, if anything, it's going to get heavier. Mm. And then they put this out, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like, dude, I think, I mean, just imagine, I think if they had written these songs with Guy Ritter in the band, what this record would have sounded like. I think that's yeah. that's one of the big questions I always have about Tourniquet is if they had kept Ritter on for this album, what, what would we have gotten, you know, and maybe it wouldn't have sounded this good. I mean, I think, I think Luke Easter is, is really the main ingredient on this record uh, that really, like you said, Vaughn, how it holds it together. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it really he he's a, because he's coming in fresh. So his his delivery I think is more energetic and much more fresh. I think even more so than the rest of the band because they're used to doing this. They're used to recording albums and putting yeah. them out. Luke Easter's just thr- just psyched that he's in Tourniquet. You know, like that's yeah. a you know that's a big deal, and um, you can definitely hear that in his vocal delivery. He really he really put his all into this, and I think in a lot of cases actually saved some of these songs that kind of tend to. The problem I have with this album is I feel like it kind of. I find myself skipping around to different songs. Yeah. Whereas uh, on the previous three, it was just beginning to end. You know? Yeah. And you also mentioned the um, the sort of slower, more reflective stuff like, um, you know, My Promise and obviously Twilight as well. Um, and that was probably something we didn't see from them at all um, on the first few albums in that sort of style, almost like, um, yeah, just straight rock, straight ahead rock almost. Um almost ballady in a way. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, he really, he really delivers on those songs as well. Like, I, I actually always liked Twilight. Um, like some people found it a bit, um, you know, too different. Um, but I, I always thought it had a nice sentiment to it. And I, I, I still think it's the, and I say this with no, um, disrespect to the theme. I, I'm pretty sure it's the only song covering that topic I've ever heard. Like I really do. Like I can't think of any other band that's ever talked about the plight of the elderly. Yeah, you know it's um, and and they were very good like that. And we talked about the social issues and whatnot, and and that was something that stood out with Tourniquet. So, um, you could always rely on them for a bit of commentary, maybe in areas you didn't necessarily hear from other bands. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting time. But now Luke did did do a good job on this album. Um, I, I would definitely agree. You mentioned why didn't Gary just take over lead vocals as mm. a... He couldn't have done this. As a rhythm guitarist slash lead guitarist that has more than once been kind of shoved into the lead vocalist role for one show because the person just bowed out at the last minute. I can only guess that if Guy was as upset with the band becoming as heavy as they were becoming, that he just became yeah. less and less interested or less and less... He contributed less, I mm. think is what I'm trying to say. And if you're if you have the same mindset that I do when we're writing a song, I understand if you don't have anything written down, but at least get up and do something to kind of give the the song a flow. And if you don't do yeah. that, I'm going to start doing stuff because I just want to hear sometimes and Dan's guilty of this. Sometimes I just want to hear la la la. It helps. So yeah. I, I, I get the impression that's why he ended up doing more and more vocals was because they weren't being given by the lead vocalist. But that's yeah. that's the only way I can yeah. come up with. And then like Luke, you know, came in as such a sort of pure vocalist that probably lent itself to that. And, and I don't know. I'm so glad you're here, man. Take over, please. Take it all. Yeah. <laughs> it was more that that comment was as much me, my my perceptions of it at the time. Like certainly now I can look at it differently, but sort of at the time as a huge fan of his vocals on songs like Pathogenic, I wanted more of that because sure, I wasn't yeah. thinking about melody or anything in those days. I just wanted more of the heavy, you know. Like, Come um, on. Right. But also, Eric's not on the scene anymore. We haven't really talked about any of the other members. So perhaps you know, um, you know, he 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 lent quite a heavy tone with the the dual guitars as well. Um, so maybe maybe his influence is um, 
is is not felt on the album as well you know in terms of the the guitar work also so there's there's that possibility also i don't really know what the internal band dynamics were and who actually played what on the album um you hear different things you know about who played what and various albums and but um yeah it definitely was a stylistic shift for them um but one that i certainly gave plenty of airplay back in um back in the mid 90s it was it was constantly playing um, I pretty much only listened to Tourniquet for a Tourniquet Mortification for a few years of my life, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's worse things. Um, I've, uh, There's risk by Megadeth. <laughs> I know we... Uh, I don't even, anyway. Uh, so, I, I've been kind of putting it off, but we got to talk about Crawl to China. <sighs> yeah. Um, so you didn't want to touch on Carry the Wounded at all? You can if you, you, can if you want. EP, I, I've got it. it. Um, you can if you we we typically only talk about the main studio albums, but uh, yeah, no, but that's it, fine. it's at least yeah. worth a mention. Yeah, that uh, "Carry the Wounded" was an EP. Was it put out independently by the band, or was it a? I, I've got the t- cassette, but I, I don't remember. Yeah, um, it still came out on Intense. Um, I've got got my copy of it here, but it was pretty much um, it was pretty much an acoustic, you know, much um, much lighter sort of. It was mostly e- covers, wasn't it? Album. Um, just oh well, I think oh well was Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, yeah that was the, that was that cover on it. Um, okay. I always liked the song "Carry the Wounded." I, I thought it was kind of um, a bit of a pared down version of "Vanishing Lessons." Like it seemed like a fairly logical follow up. Um, sure. Uh, the, when, when I actually got married back in two thousand and one, um, we we played "When the Love Is Right" because I was such a huge Tourniquet fan. It seemed important. Like, I loved the fact that we could do that at our wedding. So that was one of the songs at our wedding, which was really cool. And I remember actually, I emailed Ted to say we were doing this, and he emailed me back and said, "Oh, congratulations on the wedding and all that." And that that left a big impression on me as a Twilight yeah. fan as well. Sure. So sure. probably for that aspect, it was it was important to me. But um, no, that that's fine. Um, it was sort of like really a um, a stopgap kind of album in a lot of ways, le- leading into like you say, "Crawl to China." Um, Vaughn tried really hard to help you, Dan, but now we have to talk about Crawl to China. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't, okay. This is the record where the band started sounding kind of like a Christian rock band. <laughs> I think yeah, I, what you're saying. I think before that, yeah. and again, it's not even it's not even that it's bad. It is just so directionless in the sense that it is all over the place stylistically you've got an awesome song like white knuckle in the rosary which is a cool song cool tourniquet song could have gone on vanishing lessons probably you know and then you have songs like enveloped in python which starts off just like him talking to a pet snake and again it's it's weird and creepy and very tourniquety but uh it's it's just very strange. The songs just seem very far apart from each other. And then the, there's that song "Bats," which is just yeah. What even is that? You know, like it's just a very strange song. Um, yeah. And it, it just seemed like a lot of their metaphors and stuff lyrically, they were kind of like explain like like in "Bats," they're like, "They think they'll hit you, but they won't." You know, you think they'll mess in your hair, but they but then they have to explain that they're saying that you know 
just because you can't see God doesn't mean that God's not real, you know, like, and all that, like, and I, I get where they're yeah. coming from or whatever, but I feel like the old tourniquet didn't have to explain itself, <laughs> yeah. you know, whereas uh, on this one, it just seemed very, um, it seemed very cheesy Christian rock to me. Um, and that's not to say that there weren't really good songs. I mean, my favorite songs on that record are um, The Telltale Heart, I thought was really well done. Um, yeah. And actually very heavy, uh, <laughs> which yeah. is interesting to hear. Um, and I thought that, uh, you know, I really liked, uh, well, obviously White Knuckling I liked. Um, and, uh, and I also liked um, Imaginary Friend, I thought was re- was a really good one by yeah. them. And uh, But this was just... <laughs> So all over the place, not what I was expecting at all. Because I mean, Vanishing Lessons still worked as a uniform album, and I feel like Crawl to China has a million tracks, and only like four of them are good. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the first thing, like obviously I can't see this on the podcast, but there's my copy of it from '97. Oh, so the, there you go. the original. Um, hey, what's the first track was, on your copy? Is it enveloped in Python? Uh, yeah, Klosper. I've never known how to pronounce it. Um, Klosper Falenka. Klosper Spelunker. Yeah, because they never actually say it in the song, so I don't know right. how they pronounce it, which sounds ridiculous. So I obviously know the song, but yeah. Well, the track listing on Spotify and Apple Music, the track listing's totally different than it is on the CD. Yeah. I think I they moved the it on the re-release that they put out. But this was the Benson record version that I I mean I I as I've sort of illustrated through the podcast, they were my favorite band and um this was just such a big deal to me when it came out, you know, because it'd been a couple of years since they'd done a full length and they'd obviously done Carry the Wounded plus um the Collected Works compilation which had a couple of cool new tracks on it. Um, have, uh, it's a Good Night for a Hanging, wasn't that on the Collected yeah, Works? Yeah, Perfect Night for Hanging. In fact, those two new songs on the the Best Of were more like the old Tourniquet. Yeah, they than didn't sound like they've done Call to China at all. I remember thinking that, that they, no, they sounded just heavier. like heavy Tourniquet songs. Yeah. And that was kind of what I was hoping for on Crawl to China. Um, but I do agree with what you're saying. It, 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 it sort of almost sounded like an alternative rock album, this one, to me, when it came out. Like the... The thrash was definitely gone. It was it was there in moments, um, and a, as a huge fan, um, I still thought that there was a lot of talent on display in the album. Um, but it definitely didn't have the same impact on me as as the earlier stuff. Um, I I gave it every chance, and I listened to it a lot o- over that time. But um, no, I agree with what you're saying. It it didn't quite have the same vibe. But I think. I think it does uh, suffer the the loss of Gary. There's no question because Absolutely. I, can, I can remember when this came out. Um, we we're sort of in the relatively early days of of the internet being all sort of like a, a proto version of what the internet is now. And Tornica had a website that I'd go to most days, and I can still remember like the update that um, that Gary and Victor had left, and um, that you know next album don't don't worry, like um, you know we'll still do a great album and I mean I, I don't know who was writing the updates on their website but probably um, Ted I, I, I'd, I'd always assumed it was Ted and maybe he specifically said it I just don't want to quote him as being the one who said it but I do remember the tone on the website was like yeah Gary and Victor have left thanks for their help um, there's no big deal that they're gone and I remember thinking as a fan it kind of is a big deal that they're gone like, yeah I'm kind of upset yeah 
you know, like I wanted to give it every chance, and I did. But I do, I did have sort of. I was thinking, gee, what's going on there? Like, that, there's some pr- pretty serious members of the band just to sort of leave. Um, so, but the internet was different in those days. I obviously didn't have Facebook and all that kind of thing. So, you're relying on people's ability to update their old HTML sites and whatnot to actually get news. You know, so I remember sort of waiting a bit with bated breath about you know how this album would sound without Gary, um, and I think I think you can definitely tell his influence is gone. I th- I, and I really hesitate to say this because I've I've had a huge, continue to have a huge amount of respect for Tourniquet, but in some ways I was never quite the same after Gary left. And um, I don't want to sound like a Gary fanboy when I say that, but. He was a he was a very crucial element to the tourniquet sound. Would you guys agree? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely was. Yeah, this is the first uh, Doom record by Tourniquet. It's not Doom. It's uh, it's, it's something. They get there though, actually, in places. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you 100 percent that he was he was very instrumental, no pun intended, to the um, to the to the overall sound of early Tourniquet. I mean, it's yeah. undeniable. You can, even if you listen to his solo records now, you can still tell it's him playing. You know, it's not. Uh, he 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 has a very distinct style uh, to his to his playing, and um, yeah, you know. And I do. I miss his thrash vocals. Um, it's it's always weird to me too. Like if I watch a video of them playing Ark of Suffering live, and it's like, uh, you know, Luke Easter singing it, which already doesn't sound right. And, uh, you know, I think Aaron, the guitar player, was singing, you know, yelling Gary's parts and stuff. Yeah, and it all just I've sounds it all footage, sounds yeah. like a very good cover of a tourniquet song, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't ring true as being the band, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're going to get that. If, if a band is going to continue for as long as they have, people are going to come and go, unfortunately. No, and, and I certainly don't, um, I don't hold it against them for continue. or Ted really, it sort of became a Ted solo project. I don't know how he would feel about that, but certainly with the last album, which we'll get to, you know, that, that was a Ted solo album that later got called Tourniquet. So, um, you know, I don't think even, a, a, you know, it has been Ted's baby really ever since this era, you know, and, um, yeah, I think I think that it shows. I, I think that he did a, a good job of. I think it's still. I think that the album still got moments. Crawl to China. The, the the songs I wrote down on my notes, just looking here, that that stood out to me was. Um, I've actually written down "Going Going Gone," which is another one of his sort of. Um, I suppose animal. Obviously, animal rights is a huge part of. Um, of Ted's, Ted's yeah. philosophy. Um, but I, I, I always found the sort of swirling guitars on that song and just um, uh, that song always stood out to me. It's not it's not a heavy song, but um, I liked the way it was delivered and um, and the sentiment on the song. I thought that it, it was a sort of uh, good way of dealing with that topic. So that song always stood out to me. And, and another one, sort of the same kind of thing as what you're saying with um with bats there was another one on there if pigs could fly yeah yeah with that song i actually quite like that song um very different but I, I like the the message in that song as well you know um and it always stood out to me not not as being a great thrash song but it certainly um it stuck in my head as a song that you know i i remember quite distinctly from this album um 
so those were the two that I wrote down. I'm not saying they're necessarily the best songs. There's Tire Kicking as well, which is probably the most traditional tourniquet song on the album. Yep. I, would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yep. 100%. If Pigs Could Fly yep. always seemed like the song that wasn't on Vanishing Lessons every time I listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we're going to go back just one here. Yeah, it's cool. Um, this is one of those records that I... Um, I do think it's it works as a rock record. If I just want to listen to rock, I've, I, you know, I'm not like reaching for the dial to turn it off. I'm not as angry about it as I was about like Risk for Megadeth or you know something like that because they had kind of already kind of prepared me for it um, yeah. with Vanishing Lessons. I I don't think that I was like necessarily surprised that Crawl to China sounded the way that it did, but I definitely you know as a, as a metal fan you know before I could just listen to Tourniquet anytime, and now yeah. I had to be in the mood to listen to it. You know. I always wondered with it, like, I'm holding up the CD for you guys again. It's got all bright with the light in my room here. But, um, like, it's not a very metal cover. And, no. um, you know, it's a different logo. It looked like a sort of mid-90s alternative sort of um, logo that was really popular at that time. Um, I often wondered how this album would be perceived, like how I would hear it if it had like a the old tourniquet logo and, and a metal heavy metal cover. So before I'd even heard it, if um if it had that image, because I think I, I don't know if I heard the album cover and the actual tourniquet music was still in there or if, if the music actually is does sound like that album cover. Right. Am I making any sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that's kind of the same thing Metallica did when they put out Load and Reload. It was, well, now we have to have a new logo because we have a different sound. We're going we're gonna to cut our hair and look different. I think that was just another 90s thing. Like, you, you've got to innovate. You've got to be different. You've got to be new. And it's like, no, no, we, we don't. No, no, you do. And then they do this. And I... I think it would have it would have sounded different. It would have been probably another risk situation if they had the same logo and the same look of the cover because it doesn't yeah. it doesn't seem like the same band. It seems like one of those no. we're just gonna do something different because well it's it's not us. But if you're me and you have the reissue, which I can't hold up, but I am looking at it on my google yeah. music right now. I know, that, I know that I'm familiar with the picture. You mean yeah. they they threw it back and just tried to make it look the same and it try helps to, try to trick us all over again. It, it, it's <laughs> kind of silly but but it looking like a classic record it does help and yeah. i really don't know why yeah it's funny like you know we talk about the 90s but it's just looking that was a 97 album and you mentioned reload that was 97 and megadeth were doing cryptic writings in 97 and maiden were in between x factor and virtual 11 um all the all those bands were um I, I, you know, Kiss obviously had done the reunion by then, but they put out Carnival of Souls. I don't know how much of a Kiss fans you guys are, but just about every band I loved at the time um, was doing very different stuff. Like that was right when almost. Tim the Ripper Owens was in Judas Priest. It was right around '97, wasn't it? Yeah, there, there, there were another one. Um, Jugulator came out. Look, there's metalheads listening to this, so I don't want to misrepresent, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure Jugulator came out in '97. Uh, just off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in 1997, there was a lot of classic bands putting out material that didn't really resemble their classic material. So I, I kind of felt a little bit left behind by it all. And I felt like I needed to adapt or die a little bit because no one was doing the stuff I remember anymore. I, I can distinctly remember that time period. Like it felt like the old was gone. It really did. 
Yeah, because, I mean, now you're like, oh, this band changed. I'm going to go listen to another band that sounds just like it. You didn't have that. You know, back in the 90s, you couldn't just download an MP3 file. I remember the big thing was clips for a while whenever yeah. I first started getting yeah. on the internet. You could listen to no, a 10 second to wave a 10 clips. second clip, and it would still take you 10 minutes to download that clip. You know? Yeah, like 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Well, around this time, no, it was a couple of years later, but I think it was a show from around this time from Flevo. You could get a download of a tourniquet show. Um and yeah, I remember downloading that, and um, yeah, it just, like took me like two days to download like a forty-minute audio of uh-huh. one of their shows. I've, I can't even remember what the site was. It wasn't an official thing. Um, people who were into Tornic at the time will remember it. It was like live at Flevo. It was around year two thousand or something. You can pull the video up, I think, on YouTube now. You can see the audio yeah. and video. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's out there, but I do I do remember downloading this WAV of it, and it must have been, you know, you know, a couple of hundred megabytes when, yeah, it just took me so long to download. I remember that, um, and it was like I don't want to go. It was it was like in the absence of of a live album, it was like this is actually like Tourniquet live. You know, I remember being really excited about being able to hear it, um, whereas now, obviously, with YouTube, that sort of thing's commonplace, right? Well, that's yeah. part of the reason why people don't go see their favorite bands live as much either. Yeah. Because you can get that experience without having to leave the house. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> we take a lot of that stuff for granted, but man, music is music industry has really changed very yeah. rapidly in the last 10 years. I mean, it's, uh, it's unreal. Well, I remember, um, don't crucify me for this because... Um, you know, we're a metal show, but I, I remember I had this mate who was the, the biggest Nirvana fan, mm-hmm. and we would go into... Um, this guy. Yeah, I like Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and back in the mid-90s, like, when um, bootleg CDs were really expensive, we would, um, you know, and pre-internet, oh, yeah. I remember he would go in, and, and we got a copy of what became the MTV Unplugged Nirvana album, but before it had been released as official album, there was, like, a bootleg CD of it. And oh, okay. He paid way over for it. He paid like seventy bucks or something Australian wow. for for a CD copy, like a a bootleg copy of this on CD. And and for a few months at school, he was the king because he had this like Nirvana MTV unplugged show before anybody had it. And I'm just thinking of the concept now of paying seventy dollars for a CDR. Um, right. Who would do but that? But he did. Yeah. <laughs> when we went to Nashville for the Rock and Pod Expo, they had all the vendors. And right. there were a couple of them that had the bootlegs that were either live recordings or studio things yep. that they still, it was, it was 25, 30 bucks. 25, $30. Yeah. And I remember thinking, how much did it cost you and how much are you charging yeah. the next guy? Or is this one of those legit bootlegs where this is recorded straight from the board and you're selling it to me and I'm the only guy that has it. Cause yeah. I'm kind of of that mindset now where everything's digital and if you can distribute it, don't overcharge. I guess is kind of the way yeah. I look at it now. It's unfortunately it started with uh, oh I think it was Radiohead who put the re- the first digital record out and said pay what you want for pay it. Pay what you want. Yeah. And as soon as they that. did that, I said okay, this is where the twenty, thirty, forty, fifty dollar bootleg no longer matters. You'll notice they haven't done that again though. Well, you only yeah. have to do it once. Well, yeah, but I thought yeah. that was interesting because how many people just paid a cent? Um, yeah, that's and right. And with them being a massively popular band, maybe that still was enough, but it still yeah. it's just uh, just crazy. But um, 
I was going to say, I asked them to pay me to download it, but they didn't accept it. They didn't accept the deal. <laughs> oh, bummer. Yeah. $5, I'll, I'll pay you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Tourniquet was interesting, though, and it really appeared that between Crawl to China and Microscopic View, it seemed to me as if they had actually listened to the fan input. Oh, absolutely. From client, yeah. they're, they're like, okay, okay, we get it. We tried doing something different, so we went with microscopic view of a telescopic realm. And, uh, yeah. I mean, right off the bat, you're like, whole. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This sounds like old tourniquet, you know? <laughs> like, uh, it this, doesn't really, and I'll get into that later, but. This album would, for me, was just the biggest return to form. Um, it was, at, it was. It was such a pleasant surprise after Crawl to China because I really thought that Crawl to China was was where they were now. Right. I, at, at the time, we talked. It was a three year gap, and I, I, there was nothing. There was the one song on the acoustic archives, um, which was quite heavy, and that gave me some sort of thought. I still would have supported Tourniquet. Um, if they had made Crawl to China Part 2, don't get me wrong. I, I, I would have bought it. I would have listened to it. I would have respected it. Um, I wasn't expecting such a return to form. And this was like the, the best um, present that they could have given me, this album, because I I, I don't know. I've always thought it, it resembles Pathogenic a lot. It in does. Terms oh, of yeah. It's sound and style. Would you guys agree? I yeah, completely. I mean, this this I mean, that's immediately what I was thinking was pathogenic. Whenever I first heard the first song, well, it was I think it's called "Besprinkled in Scarlet Horror." Yeah, that's and it's correct. uh, you know, um, just really that really really fast picking that you know, that I, it just, I guess it was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they've actually listened to what people complained about. And said, okay, we'll make the record you want us to make. Because most bands don't do that. And I have respect for both sides of the issue. I have respect for the band to say, well, no, we're a band and we write the music that we write. You take it or leave it. But I also understand that, like, hey, we've got this dedicated fan base and they would really appreciate it if we played music that they, you know, that they would want to buy. So I, I totally understand both perspectives on it. And I think a good artist has a little bit of a combination of both in mind. It's the metal version of overwhelming customer input. It's like, hey, we like your store, but this thing that you're trying, it's just not working for us. You know what? Just about everybody has come back and said, we need to change this, guys. So let's uh, let's write microscopic view of a telescopic realm. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember, um, you know, seeing the, the cover when it was released online. And, you know, we talked about the cover of Crawl to China, and I'm just holding it up for you guys. I mean, obviously, you'd be familiar with the cover. Yes. I love that. Um, but, I mean, that that is that is a thrash metal cover. You know that that is a tourniquet album cover. So even when you saw that online and you had the 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 first song come off, and I think it might I think it might have been. I have a feeling the Tomb of Gilgamesh might have been the song that somebody will probably correct me on that. But I, I have a feeling they might have put Tomb of Gilgamesh out first. I, I I'm not I'm actually not going to stand by that because it was a long time ago now. It was such a big song. I think they cut it in half. Yeah. But whatever they put online, it was like such a um, return to the sound. And it's caused me to reconsider a comment I made earlier about Vanishing Lessons being the sound going forward. They definitely, after Crawl to China, like in the year 2000, they definitely got heavier again. Um, you still got the Luke Easter sort of impassioned vocal performance. And I, I, I think that um, this album and the next one are probably 
like Luke's finest hour in terms of his vocal delivery. Um, I thought that these, these, this sort of era of the band was really good. And um, yeah, after, after um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say for me that Cruel China was a disappointment, but it was definitely a sidestep. Um, I was just so relieved and happy with this album and I didn't stop playing it for, for a very long time because it was like my tourniquet was back. Even the song titles were back. You know, the um, yeah, erratic palpitations of the human spirit. Right. And be sprinkled in Scarlet Horror, which we've mentioned, Immunity Vector. They even did a Skeezix like, Dilemma had, Part 2. Yeah, exactly. The Skeezix Dilemma Part 2. I mean, it was kind of... It, there, there is a bit of fan service going on there, isn't there? I'd never really thought about it that way too much, but it's kind of like their um, Force Awakens in a way, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, they and they, they tried really hard, I think, to emulate the the old sound. I mean, even in Besprinkled and Scarlet Horror, that's not Luke Geister singing or screaming at the beginning. That's their guitar player, Aaron. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's it's one of those, like, they're, they're really, really trying to return to that original sound. I mean, obviously yeah. Luke Easter is unmistakable, so um, he's never going to sound like Gary, or I'm sorry, he's not going to sound like Guy. But, you know, it really, I mean, if you wanted to hear what it sounded, if you wanted to hear what um, Pathogenic would have sounded like with Luke, Luke Easter, well, this is it. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing that's brilliant about this album is um, it... Similar to um, to Pathogenic, it it did the twists and turns in the albums, like in the songs, the way you know you'll be going through a section of a song and then it, like um, it will come into a completely new section and it will be like a more intense vocal delivery or it will be really fast and there'll be it'll be very wordy. Um, the bit that always stands out to me is the, um, one of the songs where he comes in and he goes, "The time has come to speak of many things." Not, and um, it's like a completely different delivery to what happened before. It just takes you on this musical journey. And um, just those bits where you get a 30-second section and you're driving along in the car and you're like, I love this bit. Like, I find that that 10 or 20 seconds can make a seven-minute song. You know, you can love a song, you know, because of this 10-second section that's in the middle of it can really make it a standout track. That's one of those and, spots uh, where your foot becomes five miles an hour faster and you're like, oh, yeah. speeding. <laughs> and, I, yeah, I, I, I was just really... Um, I was just super impressed by this album when it came out and it was... Um, it was an important album for me back in... It was 2000, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. It was 2000. And um, it's one of those albums... We always talk about soundtracks of our life. I mean... I just think of that era of my life when this album comes out. That would have been the main thing I listened to that year, I'd, I'd be guessing. Um, that and Brave New World by Iron Maiden. I'm a, I'm a massive Iron Maiden fan as well. They're um, my favourite band. So um, you, you probably heard me mention them a few times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, the, the songs that stood out for me on this just when I wrote wrote down my notes before was um, Besprinkled in Scarlet Horror and Drinking from the Poisoned Well. And microscopic view of a telescopic realm, the the title track. I think that um, they're all very, um, you know, they have lots of different sections in them. Lots of um, they go through a, a real emotional journey. All of those songs, and they're just um, very good compositions. And I think um, I think the songwriting was was a huge improvement on this album. Yeah, it was. Um, and this is uh, this is where. I kind of like that, and the, a lot of what I said earlier was very much my initial impression. 
And upon listening to this several times before, and I'm not saying this like it's a bad thing, it's very much like the old tourniquet. It is meant to sound like the old tourniquet. Yeah. But the more you listen to it, the more you start realizing that it really kind of has its own sound. Yeah. Um, the production and atmosphere that was per- that was present on Pathogenic is not here. This record sounds really clean. Um, a lot of the a lot of the guitar parts sound somewhat isolated, and I understand that that's that that was how you recorded in two thousand. You yeah, know that, that you, this you, was the dawn of digital recording being mainstream available, especially to independent groups or lower end groups that didn't have access to the money budget studios. Right. And yeah. everybody was still figuring it out. Yeah, mm. so I feel like the I feel like the notes don't ring out here. And I feel like they're, you know, some of the impact of the songs, I think the songs probably because I've seen them played live and they're much more aggressive and much heavier sounding than they are on the record, which is, you know, great. I mean, as a metal fan, you blunt that. But yeah. um, was this the record that Ted Kirkpatrick made into a drum instructional DVD, or was that the next one? I think he just did his own material for that. I don't think he used any of the tourniquet material. But yeah, he. Uh, but I mean, this is just. Uh, I feel like the drums were louder than everything else on this record as well. Um, That's why I brought it up, which was I've... which was bound to happen, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and that sort of again the Ted lead drummer kind right. of vibe. Well, I mean, you know, it's it really his band at this point. You know, he is the band, you know. Yeah, that's right. And it's almost like, you know, I've sort of tried to articulate this with my friends over the years, but it's almost like, yeah, he's like the lead vocalist, but he's playing drums and his voice is his drums. It's, right. it's, it's such a critical part of the sound um, that, I mean, I think the perfect example in talking about that is the Echo Hollow material. Um yeah, I think, yeah. you know, if you listen to the first Echo Hollow CD, that's basically what Tourniquet would sound like without Ted on drums. And it almost sounds like Tourniquet, but, and in, in, in parts, it sounds a lot like Tourniquet, uh, sometimes even more like Tourniquet than Tourniquet did at times. But um, without without that, um, I think that, yeah, Ted's drums is, um, you know, is, is just as important as any vocalist um, to, to, to defining something as being Tourniquet. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, yeah, you know, so this record, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I think this record, while did, while well, I think was originally intended to sound like the old material, definitely pushed forward with its own identity, because you're gonna hear that um, on the next record. Um, yeah, you know, in Spades. Whereas I feel like I feel like where Moth and Rust destroy is a little bit more of a representation of what the band was really really sounds like in the mid in the early 2000s you know yeah um this really um cemented because it took a lot of the ideas from microscopic view but i feel like they kind of dropped a lot of that let's try to sound like old tourniquet yeah and kind of started forging off in their own direction which i think was a really good move are we are we on to that one now? Or? Oh yeah, we can Oops. unless there's yeah. Sorry, I didn't. Uh, oh no no, that's fine. No, I just didn't want to get uh, you know. I'll, I'll get talking about it and um, yeah, yeah, we're on that uh, for sure. That was what I was asking. Um, no, I I do agree. Uh, they they sort of um, it's sort of like in a way it's like the sequel. It's it's like we're we're making a lot of movie analogies. It's like uh, Empire Strikes Back to Star Wars a little bit. Um, there's elements that are the same, but it does have its own identity that's separate from it, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's like yeah, it's definitely the Empire Strikes Back. I think of the uh, 
if you want to call them a trilogy starting with microscopic view i think for sure <laughs> um yeah this is the this is the cream of the crop of the three um in my opinion um we'll we'll get to antiseptic here in a little bit but uh but this record really um long epic songs um really letting really letting luke shine on a lot of these songs i feel yeah. like luke has some of the best like his personality really shows through on this yeah you know um i made i made the comment earlier that um you know when we're talking about vanishing lessons i talked about luke um and that sort of emotional um the way he delivers that i find a very personable style like almost like he's singing to you in the in the room where you're sitting mm-hmm. like almost like you feel like you could sit down and you know share a meal with him while he's singing it's um sure it's just got the style about it and and um I, I I sort of can't split these two albums because there's when um, when where Moth and Rust Destroy came out when it when it was a new album um, it actually did take me a little while to get into um, I don't know what I was expecting I wondered if it was the guitar tone it was a little bit more droney um, I think um, it was a bit different but I, I had this funny experience where I was actually on a ferry. Um, over to Belfast of all places um, I've, I've, I've been to one trip to um, England and Ireland in my life and so I was on a Scotland to Northern Ireland ferry and I was listening to this on the trip and um, it was all of a sudden it just hit me you know sometimes an album just grabs you when you might take you 10 or 20 or 30 listens and mm-hmm. um, this, this one took a bit longer to hit me like I loved the previous one so much but I remember listening in particular to Healing Waters of the Tigris and I'm on this ferry watching the water lap along the side of the ferry this song about Healing Waters of the Tigris and um, it just sort of at that moment struck me as being you know, a really fantastic album and um, I've talked to my friends who like Tornica and they don't all praise this album and they sometimes wonder why I love it so much maybe I'm just a fanboy so I'm really pleased to hear you say you like it actually because I wasn't sure what your reaction to this one would be there's a list of records that I think are great but they suffer from early 2000s early digital mixing and the older I get the more I start to notice that that yeah that really was a good record it just kind of suffered from the times yeah, but then I always am able to justify it to people by, well, have you listened to the drums on every '80s rock, hard rock, and most of the hair metal records ever? Because it was all that very sloppy digital snare that yeah. that was the early days of digital drums. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it'll never go away. It's always going to be there. Best example is everything by Def Leppard in the '80s. It's funny because why did the word hysteria pop in my head when you started talking about that? Vaughn, I think we have some connection here uh, that we're going to have to explore at a later date. Guitar players, man. How can I say? Yeah. But when I listen to it, my first thought is, oh, the guitar sounds horrible. Yeah. What year was this done? Oh, that's right. 2003? Yeah, that's about the right time where all the guitars sounded like crap. Yeah. Well, I agree. Uh, (laughs) It's... It's not punchy. Like, it's no, supposed it's to be really heavy. Like, it's written mm. heavy. It's played heavy. Yeah. It just doesn't sound heavy on the on the recording. Um, but once I got past that, 
and really started digging into the songs, there's a little bit more of a doom metal. And that's whenever I say that the album actually um, was meant to be heavier than it really sounds is because I hear a lot of doom metal uh, mm. in this. The songs, you know, a friend of mine used to say that all the songs just drag on, they're long, they're boring, whatever. And I'm like, well, that sounds like maybe they were going for more of a more of a doom metal sound. And uh, and I hear that I hear that a lot on this record. Um, Ghost at the Wheel probably stands out as my favorite song on this CD. Um, yeah, followed very closely by Arcatuthis, um, because who can yeah. who can who can say no to a song about a giant squid? <laughs> yeah, and again, like everything that should have been the cover. A, a bit like um, a dog's breakfast. Everything I know about giant squids, I learned from that song. Right, <laughs> pretty much. Um, I don't know where the giant squids are being mistreated. We've we've actually since since then we found the giant squid. I know, and and when they found that, I, I was a teacher at the time. I was teaching high school. And um, I'm not doing that anymore. But um, at, at the time of that, I was like, these, these guys, this band that I love, they talked about it before it was actually found. So I, I, I knew about this before. Then now they found it. It's incredible. And I remember sharing that with the kids. They all thought it was a bit crazy. But right. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like that whole thing where heavy metal is my textbook as well as, you know, my favorite style of music. So when can we expect Gray Forsaken to put out the Loch Ness Monster? Right. <laughs> You're gonna be ahead <laughs> of Judas Priest, um Judas Priest did a song on Loch Ness and um this is how much of a crazy fanboy I am. That same trip actually when when I was listening to, to this album on the ferry from Scotland, we visited Loch Ness a couple of days before that and and i stood on the edge of loch ness um listening to the judas priest song loch ness so that was that was that was an evocative moment actually yeah Uh, that was a good moment and i'm glad i did that because that was pretty cool um no we haven't done anything like that um i don't think where we've sort of gone the full scientific um maybe that's food for thought i'll I'll keep that in mind yeah (laughs) oh crap what have i done you know and i know this has nothing to do with music but i just have to stop for a second and say you know so much of our so much stuff in human history like that was based in folklore turned out to not be true so how cool yeah. how cool was it that the giant squid was a real thing, you know? <laughs> like I mean that that's what just blew my mind because it, it doesn't necessarily sound like something impossible. You have enough water. They always say fish, accom- you know, or, or, or a uh, sea life accommodates to the size that it's given, you know. And yeah. uh, but it's so crazy because you're just expecting it to be disproven, disproven, and they couldn't find concrete evidence for years, and now we have it on video, you know? Yeah. Like we the the giant squid is real, like that. Oh, it just blows my mind, and yeah, I think about that song all the time. Whenever I, whenever I, uh, whenever I read about that, it's just it's crazy um, that it's now it's no longer a mystery. You know, I'd like to think the tourniquet is the one that opened up our collective minds to <laughs> to solve the solve the riddle. Yeah, I, I wonder what I, I did wonder at the time if the guy who discovered it was a tourniquet fan. Yeah, it was quite funny. <laughs> wasn't wasn't he a um, tiny Japanese scientist? I think all scientists should be tourniquet fans. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah. It was a Japanese scientist. Um, it's funny. Like, um, I think it, it it does. These things get on our collective consciousness, and um, you know, it, yeah, I'm sure there's not a tourniquet fan who didn't immediately, you know like their eyes um lit up when they saw that discovery <laughs> but quite well, maybe cool. they played the song underwater and he just first they were just responded to archituth show yourself to us you know yeah <laughs> i don't know maybe. <laughs> quite possibly but it's interesting you know you mentioned that your friend said that you know songs were quite that you found the songs quite boring yeah. I, I would never go as far as to um 
say they were boring, but I did mention that it, it, it grew on me, and um, I never thought they were boring. But um, I think that I think that this album, um, I totally, I I really agree with how you've sort of said it about the guitar tone. Once you can get past that. Um, you know, there's, there's a very rich album there, and and for me, the highlight of the album is definitely "Healing Waters of the Tigress." I, I love oh, that yeah. song. Um, and uh, the other one, I love the title track. Actually, Tourniquet quite often get it right with their title tracks, because um, it can be a bit cliche to like the title track as one of your favourite songs. But I do think it's a strong song on this album. And um, you know, talking about when's Grave Forsaken going to write a song about Archituses, um we certainly have written things about the concepts in where moth and rust destroy. Um, I, I very much agree with that that philosophy in life. That um, the stuff, the worldly things, and this is whether you, you know you've got a Christian worldview or not. Um, you know, even if you think that we ultimately all die and nothing happens, um, I still think that like worldly possessions are ultimately worthless, apart from what you know. Uh, our, to, to meet our needs in in the now but um sure. you know i really agree with um ted's philosophy um in that song in particular and um i think it's a strong message and, and an important message so that song's always been a standout to me uh but really i, I like the whole album from top to bottom as um you know as cliche that and fence sitting as that might sound i i i just think that they really um put out a good couple albums in a row with this and um and microscopic view yeah yeah i agree i mean these, and I, I feel like the two records can't exist without the other yeah um i think they're very because i think the title track on on uh moth and rust it sounds the most like microscopic view yeah definitely like it, you yeah. know they, it's very much got that sound um and I thought that was pretty impressive that even though Microscopic View was supposed to be a return to form, it really was more of an establishment of a new sound than it was, uh, you know, just a repeat of what we had before. Um, so, yeah, yeah, calling it like The Force Awakens is kind of the kind of right on, you know, like it's, it's trying to establish its own new identity while still retaining what people enjoyed about it from the past. Um, yeah. So that moves us on into um, Antiseptic Bloodbath. Now, I remember this was a really big deal. Yep, when it mm. came out. See, I never got the digital. I never got the physical copy of that. I only. Yeah. I bought the digital on iTunes. I think. Yeah, I'm still a CD guy, but that's just that's just the '90s in me. I'm a vinyl guy, so it's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still all about CDs, especially with music. I mean, I I drive around with my iPod fully loaded still because you know I can. I love lossless audio. But now is the time to buy CDs, especially with lossless audio, because almost everything I want is like seven bucks. Yeah. And yep. yeah. it sounds better in that form than it will ever sound if I buy MP3. It still doesn't feel as piece. good as having a vinyl record. In Nothing your hand. will ever feel as good as vinyl until we get the tape machine set up. No, I got it. Yeah. No, actually, I, I now have a fully functioning cassette deck. No, no, no. I said the tape machine, the reel to reel. Oh yeah, okay. We're we're working on that one. Fair enough. <laughs> but no, I, I, I love vinyl as well. I've got I'm just looking over at my my. I don't have a huge record collection, but I, I do love to put on um albums on vinyl when I can. I, I just find them a little bit prohibitively priced now that they've gotten popular again. God, it's like thirty dollars um, for something, you know, you know, thirty dollars US even, and that's that's insane for buying an album when you could buy the CD for seven bucks. Yeah, yeah, and and we get a lot of those US printed um, versions, like 
and so they'll be 45 Australian by the time you know they get into the shops that sell them. So yeah. wow, not all the time, but they can be pricey. You well, know? even the so mortification reissue of scrolls on vinyl was insane. Yeah insanely pride I didn't end up getting it I wanted to get the horde one I wanted to get the mortification one and um, and he even put that they even put out where they put overseer and ancient prophecy yeah which I thought was really cool you know um, just I couldn't pr- like it cost the same amount for two songs that it would have costed for an entire album yeah it's um it certainly is pricey the, the vinyl and I, I, it's got a lot to do I think I think it's I assume it costs a lot to press as well, and that's part of the whole um, pricing. But yeah, it's um, I, I do love it though. I, I definitely love sitting down and listening to a record. Um, it's probably the ultimate listening experience. I think most people agree. Um, yeah, can't skip songs. Uh, it's still, and I'm gonna uh, people will hate me for saying this, but I still find um, a CD still quite convenient. You know, um, I've got a CD player in virtually every room of the house. Just various ones I've accumulated over the years so um, I often just pop in a CD wherever I happen to be in the house whatever I'm doing so I still find that quite convenient and I've also got like a Bluetooth speaker so I'll often have a lot of stuff ripped onto my iPhone as well and I still I do that a lot as well just play through the the UE Boom speaker um, off my iPhone but yeah I suppose music's like that now there's lots of different ways you can listen to it isn't there Yep, I mean, I can listen to whatever I want pretty much any time. I mean, unless it's, like, so underground that it's not on a streaming service. Yeah. Um, which is what I used to really be into, man. Underground Christian death metal. That was my thing for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's interesting It's interesting now um, to hear that a lot of that stuff, um, that a lot of those bands ended up, you know, getting better, and the ones that weren't so good thankfully disappeared, you know. And... Uh, but you know, I just found it really interesting that Tourniquet, throughout all of this, this whole period, because I, I think I was probably the most active in Christian metal between 2005 and 2008, or maybe even 09 a little bit. And so, um, Antiseptic Bloodbath by Tourniquet was one of the first, or one of the last Christian metal albums that I bought, still being fully immersed into that scene. Um, yeah. And I was not disappointed at all. Um, and it's it's one of the few that I that I still listen to because I probably only still listen to only a few Christian metal bands and they're the ones that I think are the best you know uh, the best of the bunch and uh, this this record still holds up to me as it was kind of um, it's kind of like they had gotten over all those issues of the guitar not sounding as um, you know you know sounding processed and things I think on this record it yeah. really the notes the notes are loud everything rings out you know. Um, it's got its own. It's got its own atmosphere to it, um, and this record is just kind of all over the map as far as uh, metal styles go. There's a lot of classic metal. There's a lot of doom metal. There's a lot of just straight ahead thrash. Yeah, they just do whatever they want, you know, <laughs> and it yeah, works. And this is interesting in this discussion that we're having. Um, you know, um, as as somebody who is sort of taken each tourniquet album as it's come since vanishing lessons um it's not really until we've broken it down now i've never sort of analyzed it in terms of just what a what a trilogy of albums um i mean it's obvious in hindsight but yeah these these three albums really do form a trilogy of 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 albums don't they and um, absolutely there's that whole sort of um you know there's similar themes throughout them um it's the same lineup more or less um 
they've, they've got the, you know, we've talked about the song titles. This one's full of fantastic sounding tourniquet song titles, you know. Um, the Maiden Who Slept in the Glass Coffin. Um, that this is such a tourniquet sounding oh, song. Yeah. Like, they're really good at naming their songs. I presume it's Ted who does it. He's really good at coming up with titles that sound like a tourniquet song. He must sit there and, and write lists of them and say, yeah, that sounds like a tourniquet song. He's got that a whole notebook like a probably, song. yeah. <laughs> For the next yeah, 10 albums, he probably has a notebook, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Where he picks titles. And um, I, I just want to touch on that song, The Maiden Who Slept in the Glass Coffin. To me, that song is Luke Easter's finest hour. I've, I've said oh, that a few goodness, times yeah. about Luke Easter, but... I love his vocal delivery on that song. Um, do you guys have any? Did you are you particularly familiar with that track? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of my favorites. You know, being the that violin led. You know, um, which at this point, you know, if you look at the last two albums, pretty consistent with their sound. So I wasn't surprised yeah, by this are. at all. But man, this this song I like because it really lets the music breathe. I don't think yeah. Luke Easter even comes in right away. I think it's a couple of minutes before he before he no, even he says anything and it's one of those ones where he doesn't actually sing that much it's quite sort of understated what he does but it's just the atmosphere of the music and then when he comes in with the line the seven kept the vigil by her side refusing oh. to believe that she had died yeah it just it, that we talked about um spine chilling stuff with some of the the earlier albums but I, I that that raised the hair on my neck just the way he came in there's just something about it it's it's very understated and it's um uh, but there's just something about the the way it builds, and then when he comes in with that singing, and and you know we've talked about that emotion in his voice, and and the way he you know that sort of that relatable vocal style that he has, um, yeah. To me, that that just that verse just epitomizes like the best bits of of what Luke Easter brought to Tourniquet. It's, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, that just stood out to me the first time I heard the album, like that section. I was like, yeah, that, that is good. That's a really good little section of a song. So I, I actually, I messaged him at the time saying, you know, fantastic delivery on that. And I don't know what he thought of that. He, he emailed me back and said, thanks for that. But, um, you know, I even felt compelled to tell him I was really impressed by it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, though. I mean, even though people, I think a lot of the time musicians don't know what to say, you know, yeah. um, when somebody just starts saying, oh, well, you did really good on this because you don't want to yeah. be like, yeah, I know I wrote it that way because then you come off sounding like an ass, you know. But, yeah. uh, but beyond that, it's like, you know, you, you know, so you always end up with the thank you, but then you're like, well, the thank you maybe sounds a little impersonal, but, you know. I think it definitely boosts people up in a good way, and um, yeah, for sure. You know, I always try to give credit where credit's due, and um, with this band, especially, I think that to me this is the last great Tourniquet album. Um, and depending on how you look at it, this is the last Tourniquet technically, album. Technically, technically, it is. I mean, so far, yeah. you know, um, and I this they it can't be understated that this was everything that they had accomplished on the first two records. Again, yeah, it being it being a trilogy because you've got the original trilogy with Guy and Gary and Victor and all that stuff. Yeah, but then you now have this new trilogy where I feel like I feel like in a lot of ways they did kind of achieve what they had achieved before. Again, yeah, I, I would agree with that, and they it was it was definitely a the whole thing was a return to form. Like the other one, you know, I feel a bit cheesy saying it because it's the opening track, but. I do love Chart of the Elements. I think that that has, um, it's got all those tourniquetisms in it. You know, they're sort of singing about a scientific topic. 
they're making an analogy with you know a, a, an analogy between God and a, and a scientific concept and um, you know it's, it's, it, it sort of hits all those tourniquet notes um, right. if you know what I mean yep. and um, so that that has, that was a standout track to me on this album as well and um, it just so happens that my background is um, like I'm a chemist by trade so mm-hmm. um, I you know I've, I've sort of dealt with the periodic table a lot in my own sort of career and I uh, spent some time as a chemistry teacher as well. So, um, you know, that song had a good personal, um, you know, it it appealed to me on a personal level, like both topically and um, a, as a piece of tourniquet music as well. But sure. I think there's lots of great moments on this album. I think 86 Bullets is a great song. I think Chamunda's Temple Stampede is another great song. Flowering and, Cadaver is really good. Yep. Um, and... Um, you know, he does the whole, um, like, you know, we, we haven't really touched too much on Ted's actual, you know, life philosophy. We've mentioned it a little bit, but as uh, this album, then obviously the next one, uh, you know, it, it, he really has moved quite strongly now into that, um, uh, you know, sharing his philosophy on animal rights. You know, you know, it's always been in Tourniquet, but it, it feels like it's um, front and centre as much as the Christian message now on the last couple of releases. Would you yeah, guys agree? I would agree. I mean, the whole co- point of antiseptic bloodbath was the idea of like, he feels like because we, um, and I could be wrong about this, but this was just my interpretation, was that he was saying with antiseptic bloodbath that you know, people that the, the humanity is okay with violence and, and, and okay with horrible acts as long as it doesn't affect them personally. I guess that's where yeah. like the antiseptic part of it comes. And that actually the cruelty that we that we put on animals, you know, just to produce our food, you know, um, that he, he makes a comparison to Jesus that we just shred up Jesus for for our forgiveness and for our benefit and everything. And, um, yeah, really interesting concept. Um, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent on board with it, but, uh, I remember there, I remember it actually being controversial and that's probably why they did as yeah. well as, and actually that was part of the reason I think I was on, um, let's see, is firestream.net. Does they, does that site still exist? I don't, I haven't been there in a long time. Um, um the vault still is around, but the vaults there forums, I think, I think Christian Metal Realm might be the main forum that's still... Someone will correct me. Um, I think it's all through Facebook now. Like, most of the discussion okay. seems to happen through Facebook groups now. That makes more sense. But there was... there was Firestream was definitely a hotbed of, um, of Tourniquet discussion, that's for sure. Well, yeah. to the point where Tourniquet actually... I think Ted had some kind of sway over that website because if somebody started saying something that was really out of line or was, like, revealing things that the band didn't want revealed yet... Or mm-hmm. something like, or basically just saying false things about the band, like stuff that wasn't true. Um, I remember Ted was able to actually get in there and have all that shut down, you know. Yeah, um, um, I've been sort of, I, I've, I've never really understood the the politics um, behind Tourniquet. They seem to have more, um, just in terms of what you're talking about, they, they do seem to um, generate a lot more controversy in um, in comments and things like that, and they seem more inclined to. Um, to comment um, and um, like the, yeah, the discussion around Tourniquet seems to get a lot more heated than it does around other bands for, for whatever reason um, and and it's got a lot to do with I think a lot of people um, find Ted's uh, views confronting um, because they might disagree with them right. my, my take on it has always been that 
that I wholeheartedly respect, you know, what Ted is saying and that's that's his um that's his point of view and and you know I admire the passion and the sort of um you know like he 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 puts himself up for a lot of flack for what he says and um he cops a lot of flack for his views so I sort of admire the way he sticks sticks to his guns with those views and in truth, like I probably, if it, if not for my love of Tornica, the band, I, I'd probably have zero awareness of any sorts of animal rights issues. So, sure. if if nothing else, he he has been my conduit to that to that world, um, uh, and and it's given me what what little understanding I do have of of that um, of that issue. So you know, I sort of applaud him for um, how he's put that before his own personal. Like if he had just dropped the whole um, animal rights thing, um, you know, he would have he would have avoided a lot of um, you know criticism and and debate. But I sort of admire the way that he stuck to his guns on it um, over time. People would disagree with me for saying that, um, but yeah, at, le- at least he's you know believes in something and is passionate about it. I think that's good on him. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't think it's I don't think it's too bad here. I think this record still has all the components of a good tourniquet record. Yeah. The songs are amazing. They really are. They're they're complex. Uh, my favorite song on this one is uh, "Fed by uh, Fed by Ravens, Eaten by Vultures." Yeah, <laughs> that song is pummeling. It's brutal. It's hopeful. Yeah. It's everything you want out of a tourniquet song. Um, even at the end, I think the most chilling moment is whenever. Uh, when I think I think it's Ted that even says it, if he's like the members of Jeroboam's family died in the field or died in the city, you know, yeah. were eaten by dull doves, um, yeah. you know, and, and it's just it's so chilling just hearing his voice on there like that, and that song just ends in just brutality, you know, it's 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 his heaviest tourniquet's been in years. Yeah, that song really just. It's it's probably my favorite song on the entire record, which is weird. That it's the last song, but um, it just sums it all up, man. It's you know, yeah. um, it's a it's a great ending to a to a spectacular record, and um, I actually kind of like listening to this. Uh, if you if you if you use Spotify or any of those ser- streaming services, there's a instrumental version of this record. Yeah, which is fun yeah, to I listen to as well. There's an instrumental version I, I never actually got the instrumental version i think you could get it off their Bandcamp page but probably um, yeah yeah i did notice that they had done that and it sort of lends itself to that I, I listened to that that track not all that long ago at all when i was um i you know i did notice just how um epic it it, it does end the album on um but yeah it did they definitely um yeah they they did some amazing things and um i certainly wasn't disappointed with this album one bit like i'm a i'm a first day buyer with anything that um that tourniquet does um not that you not that i can walk into a cd store in perth and buy their album but i'm a i'm a first day What's a pre-order, let's put it i haven't that seen way. one of those in years <laughs> you know I, I want that thing as soon as it's available <laughs> whenever they've got something out sure this album is unique to me because i i have to consciously tell myself you're listening to tourniquet it 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 has its own atmosphere it has its own there's spots in here where okay yeah i'm listening to tourniquet and then there's other spots where what am i listening to again and it's not a bad like i forgot who i'm listening to it's good it's it's a it's a good evolution in their sound 
when you can still give somebody a good atmosphere that makes them forget that they're listening to a band that's been around for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I, I still... I still find it unmistakably sort of that modern tourniquet sound, but I do I do understand where you're coming from with that because it does have its own sort of um, it's got quite a foreboding atmosphere, really. The whole album. It's and one I of their darker played, ones, like yeah, thematically. And I think, you know, I was talking before about hearing the hearing the album cover. I think you know the the I think the album cover sets the tone, you know, quite effectively for um, for what the music is inside. So we got to talk about the next one, don't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> brings us now to the present. Okay. So I can tell by that that maybe you you had some reservations about it. I'm not uh, not as into this one. Yeah. It is literally the first Tourniquet album that I've been like, what are they doing? Um, yeah. Since Crawl to China, at least. Um, I was about to and say, even that yeah. "Crawl to China" sounds more like Tourniquet than this does, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the the question I've always had with this album now, I mean, I was following pretty closely online, um, you know, through Facebook, and like Ted's obviously very active um, on Facebook, and I see see all these posts that they always turn up in my feed and everything. Um, you know, it started as the Tourniquet Arc project. You guys were familiar with that whole sort of thing that was going on. It was basically and Ted's pretty, solo music. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was, it was, it was his. And there's people who know the details better than me, but I, I think the chain of events was it was, it was a Ted solo album. Then it was Tourniquet Arc, and then sort of just before release, um, it was announced it was going to be credited to Ted Kirkpatrick and Tourniquet. Um, it actually says Tourniquet slash Ted Kirkpatrick. So it's I, I can see where he's coming from because I think I think musically, it I think if I think if Luke would have sung the whole album from start to finish, I think I think it would sound like a Tourniquet album because I think basically the you know the music has the, a good chunk of the songs are heavy like Tourniquet songs, but then there's some more sort of rock orientated songs that maybe go back to something like my promise or um um when the love is right or you know not not that sound like that but um if i was there that kind of um more mellow vibe you know what i mean sure yeah so i get it I, I could imagine that if there was one vocalist on it it might sound like a more cohesive start to finish album but i think and this isn't just this album. I think any album that's got a voc- different vocalist on every song. I think a perfect example is the first Tony Iommi solo album. Are you guys familiar with that album? Yeah, yeah. Um, Where for some reason they called it Black Sabbath song. because they had to. No, that was the second. That was the second Tony Iommi album. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm oh, yeah, yeah. Here. So we're talking. Yeah, there was the first one which became the Seventh Star, but then there was um, his 2000 solo album, which had um, there was like. I think Dave Grohl sung a song. Oh, I hate doing this because people know more than me. Our Semo sang a song. Um, Anselmo, um, Ozzy Osbourne sung one song on it. But um, I think for me, when you have an album with with multiple vocalists, um, like per song, I can handle two or three vocalists from the band. You know, kind of what Tourniquet did in the early days. But I think I think for me that's the key factor that lose makes it lose its cohesiveness as an album. Um, what, what do you guys think? Well, yeah, I mean you've got Luke Easter on one song, 
Yeah. And it's a already a previously established tourniquet song. Yeah. So it's it's one of the, and I guess it's cool hearing him sing it. But yeah. um and I remember being very relieved when I got to that song because it just sounded so familiar. Tourniquet to me, you know, Luke Easter singing, it's a song I know already, you know, that sort of thing. But uh I remember just being very like very jarred because I can't, I kind of do feel like the tracks are written to match the vocalist that's guesting on it. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, at one point they're basically playing like a almost a metalcore type sound type song. Yeah. You know, to match the the guest screamer they had on the record, which I don't think was completely necessary. But I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I like metalcore, you know, but I I just don't. Um, I just don't think it. Re- I don't. I just don't think all the pieces fit together. It reminds me of Roadrunner United. It's like a yeah. listening to a compilation. Where the only yeah. thing that's really wrong yeah, with it is like, that it's called Tourniquet. Yeah. I, I, you know, you touched on the metalcore thing. Like, um, I'm as it stands, I don't I don't listen to a great deal, if any, metalcore stuff. Um, it's not that I'm inherently against it or whatever, but I, I just tend not to listen to it. Um, it's just not your jam. Yeah, that's right. So when I when I'm getting a tourniquet album, I'm I'm not I'm not looking for metalcore on it. Um, so that was probably the, the the couple of songs that are quite metalcore were were pretty jarring for me. Um, but you know, my view has always been, um, and this is with any band. It's not just with um, it's not just with tourniquet or Ted Kirkpatrick. I think it is the artist's right to to put out the album that they want to put out and and as the listener the listener can discern whether that's an album that they want to um consume i guess sure so i respect his right um to to have this album but probably just didn't hit the notes for me that that the previous ones did um i certainly like the song they did with michael sweet um obviously that's again it's the title track um but being, <laughs> I did make the comment, Tourniquet tend to hit the mark quite well with their title tracks. I think that probably is the strongest song on the album. And I was thinking about why do I think that? And I think probably out of the vocalists they chose um, on this album, probably um, uh, Michael Sweet and then the guy from Disciple, Kevin Young, they probably got the most Tourniquet sounding voices. Like I could actually imagine Michael Sweet singing on a tourniquet album yeah just have him um, sing the whole record that would have been great yeah you know yeah exactly so i think that is a that's a really good track um and it was a good good thing to get michael sweet on it and um but yeah like the other one that stood out to me is actually one of the gabby ray songs cage 23 and it's probably the part of me that you know likes songs like twilight um i thought that that had a really heartfelt vocal delivery and um you know, hard not to, um, I don't know how you guys feel, but hard not to get emotionally affected by the, by the, um, the sentiment of that song. What what do you guys think? (sighs) (laughs) I hear him, I hear him revving up back there. No, it's okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go off, but, uh, I just, for whatever reason, the message of this record as a whole, and I'm, I'm not trying to detract from that song in particular, but just, like my my wife is a, my wife is a vegetarian. She does not believe in the inhumane treatment of animals. Yeah, and I totally respect that, and I, I support her. So, being a guy that's married to someone like that, 
even then I kind of felt like it was still very like I never felt like Tourniquet was ever trying to shove a message down my throat yeah this record it very much felt that way it was very um it's exactly the kind of thing that people don't like from Christian music although it's weird because it's not necessarily the Christian message that's being thrown shoved down your throat here I think they make comparisons to Christianity but I almost kind of get the impression that they're trying to say that you're like a bad person if you don't a hundred percent if you're not a hundred percent on board and it is it is so much more heavy-handed than it has ever been like I mean everybody thought antiseptic was controversial but this record was like ten times that yeah in the sense that it really it really brought home that message and I respect that Ted has a platform to say what he wants to say but it's one of those like do you really want to take the band name of tourniquet and potentially because I think people that were irritated by that because I feel like at this point in their career tourniquet is really being supported by their diehard fans I don't think that they're necessarily winning over new fans I think a lot of bands like this as great as they are and as, as technically solid as they are I think at this point you're really being supported only by your diehard fans. So you're, those are your crowd people that are going to crowdfund your project. Those are people that are going to go to your shows and buy your shirts and stickers and things. But I don't think, you know, a kid off the streets necessarily going to be converted to a tourniquet fan tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. unless he just I really likes thrash for some reason, you know. And so again, it's it sounds really mean, and I don't. That's not what I mean, but. Um, I feel like a lot of their diehard fans are more on the Christian conservative side of things. They definitely are, yes. So you start you start spouting off stuff like animal rights and veganism and too much, you're, you're going to get a lot of backlash from that. And yeah. um, I think that I think I think it's going to be very interesting if we get another tourniquet record. What direction that's going to go in, and how many people are going to still be on board after this? Yeah, I think um, I this this didn't surprise me because I was following you know like I mentioned before I you know is on my Facebook and all that and 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 a lot of those sort of um, animal rights issues like Ted Ted talks about them very openly you know even when he's not discussing tourniquet so right. to me this this sounded like the Ted that I saw on Facebook. So nothing on this surprised me based on based on the content of you know, you know I I'd seen I'd seen this before. Yeah, I I'd seen this coming. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, no, I get it. Yeah, and I wasn't surprised either. I'm just so thinking I, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, and I I I understand as well. So I guess I guess I knew what I was I knew what I was buying into when I when I ordered this CD. I I ordered it as um you know, a long-term fan and somebody who understood, um, you know, that knew I was I was getting that with Tourniquet. I, I hope on the next album um, it'll be interesting to see because they are recording one. Um, yeah, but Luke, they've already replaced Luke Easter as a vocalist. Yeah, that's right. So now right. we've got so, someone else. Uh-oh. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And I, I have a feeling it might be more back in the style of... Um, this is just my guess. Maybe we'll get another thing a bit like microscopic view and um, where moth and rust destroy, like thematically and lyrically. I, I have a feeling that maybe we'll see it go back a bit more in that direction as opposed to, I feel like this was um, 
perhaps, you know, a bit of a one-off, um, you know, concept album around that the animal rights issue. But but we'll see. Time will tell. I definitely like the second cover more than the first cover. Um, um, there's one with a rhino on it. That's that's what I got when I ordered it from the band or from Ted. Um, yeah, now there's actually another cover. Um, let me see if I can pull yeah. it up here. It's, yeah, uh, I can picture the yeah, other the one, one with the the one with the uh, raven on the front of it. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. I can yeah. hold it up, but you're not going to be able to see it from here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know the one you mean because I'm, I'm familiar with both of them. But that, yeah, that's that's obviously the one I've got. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. And and when we were, when I was thinking about this podcast during the week, I was thinking, you know, the latter years of Tourniquet um, did really get quite controversial online, and um, how how would I sort of tread that as a fan um, in, in discussing it because it is quite awkward to discuss because, um, you know, they, they they have been quite a – some of their themes have been quite divisive really in the fan base, haven't they? Absolutely. Although yeah. the old albums would have been that way too. There just wasn't an internet then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I think if nothing else, and I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out band, you know, um, a cop-out comment, at least he's um, – you know, and I do think of Tornica as Ted these days. Um, you know, at least, at least um, there's there's something to talk about there. You know, like um, it hasn't just faded into total obscurity like a lot of artists do. Like there's actually people still care enough to um, to have an opinion on it. So that that in itself is a um, you know in the in the internet crowd that that's probably a good thing to have on your side. Um, have people still care, you know? <laughs> I agree, hundred um, percent. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the fact that Ted's still doing it. Um, I can tell you, as a fan, I definitely don't want this album again. Um, but you know, who cares what I think? I'm just some guy that loses. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think you know, I can't write the band off completely because that's the thing about Tourniquet is I never really know what they're going to do next. Yeah, I'm either gonna like it or not like it. And it's kind of exciting to, <laughs> you know, to anticipate. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's right. And and I, I'm excited about seeing what they have next. And and we're probably at a similar juncture in their career to where they were going into Microscopic View. Like you know, have had this come off a divisive album um, that some people felt uh, didn't really um, represent the tourniquet that they loved. And yeah, to see what their next move will be. Um, you know, will it be like a Ted led effort or will the other members, um, have, you know, have a, have more contribution than they, you know, like the, the Onward to Freedom album, it really does, um, you know, come across as, you know, a Ted solo album. Um, and, you know, I hesitate, I, I mean that with no disrespect because as I, I would have, I've got some of the Ted solo albums that he did, you know, the Ode to Roadkill and those kind of ones as well. As a fan, I would have bought it, whether he called it Ted Kirkpatrick or Tourniquet. So in a sense, to me, it didn't make any difference because I was going to support him as the artist anyway, but I definitely understand why it is divisive. So I'm hoping the next one will be more of a band effort for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be, I think that would be a good move at this point. Um, but man, did we make it? Did we make it all the way to the end? <laughs> we did. It's a huge podcast. So I had a feeling we'd talk for a while because I'm 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 a talker, and um, 
Me too. You know, it's such a there's such a deep band. There's so much to talk about, and we there's so much we haven't even touched on. I know. Well, um, well, we're we're gonna have that opportunity now because I'm gonna go ahead and give it to Vaughn first. Final thoughts on Tourniquet. Um. Well, I think that Tourniquet are, I think they're the premier Christian metal band. Um, out of all of them, I think they're they're the best example of a band that um you know, was, was the equivalent to anything that was in the, um, the non-Christian realm. And that was, that was sort of the band that you could hold up as an example of, of quality Christian music, um, the whole way through. And, um, they've had a, I think they've done really well to, um, navigate the controversy and continue to put out good albums. Um, to the point where, you know, here we are still talking about them and I'm hopeful that, um, that they've still got a few good albums in them. I'm, I'm really keen to hear what comes next and, um, I'll continue to be a fan. Uh, and I've really, really enjoyed delving into their catalog tonight. It's been great. I'm going to say that if you're a guitar player, if you're a metal fan, if you're a thrash metal fan, Tourniquet is the best band you've never listened to that plays metal. And if you haven't listened to Tourniquet, you need to go find a copy of The Collected Works, listen to that, start there, and then move on. I recommend Psychosurgery. Dan, what about you? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's very easy, as I've done in the past with other bands, to just say, yeah, the first songs were great and everything else sucked, but uh, that's not the case with <laughs> Tourniquet at all. Um, they're a band that has stayed amazingly consistent, amazingly relevant. There's been other Christian metal bands that kind of start leaning more on the side of, of cheesy and, and generic and formulaic. And uh, it bugs me to no end that I feel like there's a quality loss. And I feel like with Tourniquet, we've never had a quality loss. I mean, yeah, sure, I disagreed a little bit with the lyrical content of one of the albums, but that does, as far as the actual playing goes, you know, we're not looking at a sophomoric effort here. They had some of the greatest musicians ever appear on that album. And, uh, and I can see, you know, I could see where they were going, but uh, I think I think really throughout their career, I think they've just had a really good, solid sound that has carried them. You know, that that's carried them through. And in 2017, I mean, I'm still excited to hear what a new album's going to sound like. So, I mean, that's 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 paramount to to what they've done as a band for me as a person. And what is your album of the week, Dan? Well, I've been listening to Tourniquet all week, Joe. So um, You know the rules. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be Tourniquet, but it yeah, can be. It has been. I've been listening to um, Antiseptic Bloodbath more than anything else. I listen to that one the most. Vaughn, what about you? Album of the week. Yeah, well, I, because I've been reviewing the discography, but Tourniquet are a band I, I often listen to anyway, whether I was going on this podcast or not. I, I have to default to psychosurgery because... Um, it's one of my favorite albums of all time and just talking about tonight has, you know, um, solidified that view for me. So I'm going to say psychosurgery. <sighs> Two tourniquets. <laughs> do I, do I go with the flow or do I paddle up river? I mean, as long as you're not going to say something stupid like Godsmack or something. <laughs> Godsmack is not stupid. We will discuss them at some point, you know, I'm going to paddle just a little bit up we'll river see. and say midnight by King Diamond. Because that wow. was kind of my take a break from tourniquet for a split second while I'm working. Just listen to some King Diamond. 
Did yeah. I tell you that I found the first Merciful Fate album on vinyl, Melissa, the original release? And it's not on my pile right there. Why? Yeah, it's like a. It was like a buck at a thrift store. I couldn't believe it. it Why didn't a, you buy that? It's in perfect condition. I don't know. I might give it to you because I don't really want my kids like <laughs> listening to Merciful reading Fate, that, reading the lyrics to that. Yeah. So I don't. <laughs> I don't want to quote Randall Graves, but let me help you out of your chair, Grandma. We were right. talking about albums. I was listening to um, The End Complete by Obituary a bit this week as oh, well. Oh, that's a good um, one. I don't yeah. know exactly why I pulled that CD out, but um, I gave that a few spins also. It's not my album of the week, but you're talking about left field. Though it's not super left field, it's, it's heavy and thrashy and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, that was one I also had spinning a bit in between tourniquet stuff cool. this week. <laughs> Very cool. Where can uh, where can everybody find Grave Forsaken online? I know you've got the website, but I'm not sure about anywhere else. Yeah, well, um, obviously, it, our website is just graveforsaken.com. Um, and if you search Grave Forsaken in Facebook, um, I'm quite active on, on our website and on, on the Grave Forsaken Facebook. They're the best they're the best places to go. Um, and at the moment, uh, like we're affiliated with SoundMass. So soundmass.com is where we um, uh, sell most of our albums. I mean, you can get them off our website as well, but we like people to get them through SoundMass um, if they can. So, yeah, the, our, our Facebook page, I think the best way to get it, I couldn't tell you the URL, but I think it's just search for Grave Forsaken and you'll find us in Facebook. Pretty much, and yeah, yeah. graveforsaken.com. Um, I try to put something up there every day on, on one or both of those sites. So um, if, if you're interested in Grave Forsaken and, and want to hear, read some of my ramblings, um, I, there tends to be new content all the time. And um, yeah, check it out. And on that note, this has been episode 33 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Big thank you to Vaughn Gregory from Grave Forsaken for talking tourniquet with us. And that was a mouthful. We'll see you guys next week. Did he just say Godsmack was stupid? Well, Dan said it. Well, he's stupid. <laughs>